Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. You see yourself as the clutch. <laughs> <there. laughs> Grumpy, a man apart. Yeah, it's 11 in a row for you, much like it's 7 in a row for Cluxton. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Welcome along to OTBAM, the sports breakfast show from Off The Ball. It is Thursday, it is August the 3rd, it is half past 7 and we're with you live until 10 o'clock this morning. Lows to come between now and 10 o'clock. We have Cameron Hill beside me. Cameron, oh. good morning. Good morning. And a very special guest, co-host, Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent. Dan, good morning. Thanks for that intro, Shane. There was, only, there was only one title for it, really. We, special, yeah. I mean, we could have put Irish Independent maybe under your name, but we, we'll, just, we'll just go special guest, co-host. Oh, oh, listen, I'm happy to work with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it works. Louth's finest. Mm. Where we've got Louth. I always like. I, I know it's Mayo. Yeah, but so but say Mayo then. It, it's just it's just the accent puts me off. Dan, you see. I listen, I'm used to that myself, to be honest. Oh, yeah. You well, know? oh, there's a twang. There's a, a little bit. I think if you're northeast as you are yourself, you sort of recognize you, rec- you recognize it a little bit. Yes, you can recognize a little bit of twang, but to most people, you've probably sold out. It's RD you're from. Yeah. See, yeah. I don't have the RD accent in the in the sort of the purest sense of the word. Ardy's not as strong as Dundalk, though, is it? It's different. Ah, it depends. Yeah, it depends. Ardy, Dundalk, and Drada, like you have three different accents there in a very small radius. Drada. Trying yeah. to like, explain this to people. You know, it's, it's like, how can this small county yes. produce so many different ways to work the English language? It's true. It, it can happen. Yeah, because yeah. there's lads there in, in South Monon in, in a skein, very close to the Louth border, and it just become, meshes into one. The accent is so similar. Mm. My dad's from Louth, and uh, he doesn't have a very strong Oh really? That accent, but that's my mom always says that uh, if he did, she wouldn't have married him. <laughs> right. Well, what part of life? Um, Dunlear. Oh God, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. The, that's the fourth part of the county. You stopped, you <laughs> stopped the motorway. That's the lesser spoken part of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dunlear. Yeah. God, but they're not showing off. Well, Rob Carney's from life, and Dave Carney. That's and it. I, and I mean. I think those mm. lads maybe maybe lost their accent a little bit along the way. Went schooled in loud, were they? They weren't. No. Oh, sure, of course. You know, the rugby. That's so. fair enough. No, we will we'll not have it. I, I was distracted yesterday evening, lads. I uh, mm-hmm. usually be sending texts back and forth, production texts, and kind of getting involved in the production yeah, of the yeah, show. Much more involved usually. I was. I sat in a dark room for three and a half hours, basically. Um, Oppenheimer in the cinema last night. IMAX. Mm-hmm. What an experience, by the way. Like the biggest screen. I think it's the biggest screen in the country there in Pernell Street in Cineworld. Um, but it was an unbelievable film. I saw Barbie last week. So Dan is out of the loop here, Cameron. Yeah. This is a, a very, it's very pop culture. Yeah. It's very current. It's very of the time. It's very in. Yeah. My brothers went and did Barbenheimer. Um, did they one after the other? One after the other. So they went and my brother wore a purple suit with a pink tie and went to mm. Oppenheimer first, then went for pints, then went to Barbie. Oppenheimer first. Mm. And then Barbie is a palate cleanser. Yeah, so you can, you can do that a bit tipsy. Yeah, yeah, he was he was delighted the way it turned out. He really enjoyed Oppenheimer, and I can't. He said he really enjoyed Barbie, but then you know he you know wasn't of sound mind at that point. So of course. I can't for so, sure. Do you know what? I genuinely have no idea. Like, I mean, I see a lot of references to Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you just you know you just realize just you've completely lost touch with like 
I mean, I, I, I just, I've missed that whole strand of society that go for like a, a movie double header with points in between. Yes, I've just, I've just lost touch with like how people recreationally Quite choose to spend now. their time. Mm. Well, what you're watching different sorts of things at home. Well, it's not see. even that. Well, I mean, obviously, Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol, of course. Yeah, I can speak course. about that yeah, if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, plot wise, not three and a half hours shorter. Right, shorter, shorter um, episodes. Maybe repetitive. But like, I genuinely have no idea what Oppenheimer is about. Um, so okay, so the reason these two films have become culturally yeah, I want to explain it to you is here. because they are they were they're released on the same day by chance, and they are so unbelievably different. They, like you well, have, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you couldn't have picked two more two different themes. So people are like, this is hilarious. These two films are released on the same day, so they both benefited from each other releasing on the same day because Barbie fans went to Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer fans went to Barbie. So J. Robert Oppenheimer was the father of the atomic bomb. Uh, that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That explains why some atomic bomb related social media yes. content was coming up. That would that would. It was an it. interview. I don't know if you saw that thing. It was a "This Is Your Life" show yeah. from America, like ten years or so later, where um, a Japanese person was introduced to one of the pilots. Oh yes, oh. And, and now that's that's the context for that. That's it. And it was like they brought out the pilot, who yeah. then ex- who sort of in that awkward stilted style, you know, meeting someone for the first time. Oh wow! Yeah, discussing how they felt on that day. Paul Tibbetts, I think, was the Enola Gay pilot. That was the plane that dropped it on Hiroshima. But, like, it, the film's mad. It's three hours. It's just hit. Killian Murphy plays Robert Oppenheimer. That's why he's popping up everywhere. That's why he's popping that up. That makes sense. Like, all these not in Barbie, to be yeah. clear. Not, he's not in Barbie. Yeah. But it's an all-star cast in Oppenheimer. You've got, like, Matt Damon. You've got Emily Blunt. Who else you have? You've got RBJ. Robert Downey Jr. RDJ. Yeah, you've got yeah. not not Ruth Bader Ginsburg. No, they're free. Um, <laughs> Robbie Malek. Great Robbie show. Malek is in it. There, I mean, there's some unbelievable actors in it. Who else is in it? Uh, Brad, no. <laughs> Producer trying to catch me out. He says Brad Pitt, but Brad Pitt's not in it. Not. So I'm not going to say his name. You watched it last night, Shane. I watched you it last remember. night. I know. It was, it was excellent. And then Barbie is totally different. It's like Margot Robbie and, and Ryan Gosling, shut your brain off time. But there are a lot of themes in it, like kind of important. You've seen that. Is, is the whole point that you have to showcase that you're a more rounded individual by watching both? And it's and you can't watch one without the other. And if you just watched one, yes, then you're obviously conforming to some stereotype that you're just yeah. not. You're not open. That's pre- you're basically much not it. open to it. So you have, yeah. There was a lot more, lot probably more uh, men at Barbie than otherwise would have been. So, but I don't know if Barbie would have been a film that I otherwise would have went to. But I was like, oh, I'm going to do so both. You're, they, you're do you a modern man. A, modern man. They have a point modern to man. prove yeah. by going to Barbie as well. Maybe. maybe. Whereas uh, Paw Patrol, the movie, is the synthesis. Yes. Of those two ideas. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Mm. But I'm into hit my history and stuff. So Oppenheimer, I thoroughly enjoyed. It's if you're into history, obviously. I know. I probably will. I'll see it in it's, three to four years. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. When it comes out on. But it's one of these. It's obviously about the atomic bomb. So there are. This is not exactly a spoiler. There are some loud moments. Mm. Um. And oh, some, brilliant. some sens- sensory overload moments that, that I think would be best served on a massive IMAX screen. Oh, okay. I'd say it was intense. Was it was it? very intense. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment in the middle, I won't spoil it, but it's like, it's very, very intense. Someone farted. Almost like, <laughs> you almost mentioned <laughs> vacuum. That wasn't the intense moment, by the <laughs> no. way. You, you nearly went into a Graham McDowell movie review there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like Graham McDowell should be reviewing yeah. Barbie and so Oppenheimer. Many moments, yeah. Uh, to choose yeah. from. Uh, yeah well his favourite movies of course would be Gladiator and Shawshank Redemption but uh, we won't go down there <laughs> that path um, I won't be at Oppenheimer tonight a lot of people in Dublin won't be at Oppenheimer tonight this is the worst segue of all time but the Irish team are homecoming tonight instead that's what we're all going to be at coming home even coming home mm. yeah, a team would probably homecoming. feel like spending three and a half hours in a dark room um, is it is it going to be an awkward homecoming because of the whole Vera Powell Kitty McCabe thing 
Like, is that well, I don't know what they've got planned for it. Yeah. I actually, I haven't followed it. And I mean, generally, um, these homecomings are like terrible. Really, yeah. you know, but like a great, a great occasion for people to go and and see them, and it's about like the kids and having them out on stage. But like, mm. you know, I'm thinking of previous ones with Joe Duffy, sort of interviewing people, sort of after the World Cup 2002, and and it's all it's all very stilted. So like, I don't know what they've got uh, what they've got planned um, for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is. Like, it is pr- probably going to be. A lot of body language reading and and watching, um, and I suppose I don't know how it was ever going to be any other way, given things that happened in a very high profile way the other day. It's so it's going to be. I'm just looking at the details of the homecoming. So half past six this evening on O'Connell Street, just in front of the GPO uh, Entertainment. You've got Block Rock and Beats DJ Dick Pierce from upstairs. Uh, Dave Murray is the MC from Today FM. Becca Bridge will have a special Koi gig message this evening as well. I don't doesn't really say exactly what else is involved, but people want to go down, they can, and observe body language and um, try and try. And, it's all a bit strange, isn't it? The the contract situation with with Vera Pau. It's like, in a footballing sense, I don't think anyone would disagree that she probably deserves one. Um, but there is the distraction of all the accusations that from the athletic piece, and I mean, there's her relationship with the players. We don't know exactly how she gets on with with, with some of the squad, but clearly there there was a little bit of tetchiness between herself and her captain. Yeah, well, I think um, the one thing I would say about the the the, the modern FAI um, is that they actually w- do tend to work quite slowly on contracts as well. Mm. Now, it might have actually maybe it might work out for them here in the sense of um, is it possibly the case that with everything with all the water that's gone under the bridge in the last couple of weeks that suddenly you, you may decide to go a different way and maybe like the fact that they you know the euphoria of qualification didn't convince them to throw out the contract. Um, then, then, then clearly there's reservations, but it is just worth stressing that point. Like even when Stephen Kenny's new contract was agreed, it was months before it was actually, um, or it was agreed that he would stay. It was months before it was signed and done. Jim Crawford, on twenty one manager, was left in limbo for ages. It was extremely bizarre, and there was never any doubt about him staying on. Mm. Um, so they don't they don't necessarily speed through this thing these things in contrast to the FEI's past, where they would uh, they would sort of chuck them out, uh, you know, after after a good night. Um, so I think um, it's clear though from reading the reports and listening to the reports of the people who were over there on the ground over the tournament I suppose the mood music all seems to be going in a particular way and they wouldn't be sort of just sort of um, taking a stab at that clearly clearly the vibe around the place would reflect um, that maybe you've you've reached this natural end and, and I suppose when things like people will say now, oh, well, this whole thing on Monday is is uh, it's overblown. You know, it's it's completely. And I and I understand the nature of people to say that oh, people are trying to create a story from nothing. But you step back from it, and like it is highly unusual. Yeah. You have your most high profile player at a time when you're trying to like pretty build on this and and grow the game, and you're going to have Kate McCabe front and front and center. And if you have a manager saying things in a press conference that are, um are sort of escalating a situation then you have the player doing something on social media maybe in the forum of a of a sort of a, a sort of a happy clappy homecoming mm. everything is 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 put to the side and 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 there's sort of you know great great you know sort of gestures and cheers and everything and that's absolutely fine um but that's unusual there's no doubt that's unusual the questioning around Paro before she left was unusual too like the question around are you going to the homecoming 
<laughs> very strange, right? Yeah. I mean, Kathleen pointed it out herself and they spoke about it on the World Cup show that it was such a, there must be something else there because why would you ask that? You, I'm the mm. manager, of course I'm going. That Even that, there's just this cloud of mystery and intrigue around all this, I think. Well, since they qualified, since the moment they qualified and that song became a big, that they sang in the dressing room became a big issue, there just seems to be <laughs> something following this team around like you're never more than five minutes away from another controversy and I'm not saying it's the team's fault whatsoever it's just there always seems to be something and, yeah. and maybe heading into a big tournament people lean in more to these storylines and, and, and I, I understand that and maybe we wouldn't be making a big deal out of Katie McCabe asking for a for a substitution like maybe Vera Powell naming the player naming Sinead Farley was a bit there's a lot Strange. of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. Like, I've sat through a lot of press conferences over the years where a player is asked about, do you want your manager to stay on? And even if they maybe don't want them to stay on, they will come out and say, of course. What are they going to say? We always say that. What are they going to say? <laughs> and like, it's, it's actually been one of the things that has probably um, worked even, I think, for Stephen Kenny at times has been the, the real emphatic nature of the player's support where they've gone that bit further than, yeah. just, than the, given the platitude and the, actually, like you know, Matt Doherty and people going a bit further and saying no, the preparations, everything was very good. And in that context, I do find the sort of the very non-committal answers of all the players to be kind of interesting. Like it's it's amazing to me that at some point, you know, someone, no player has felt the need to say, well, of course we'd love to continue the work we're doing with Vera, you know, and and, and qualify for the next tournament. <laughs> It's the easiest thing in the world to say. Yeah. Like if someone says it, we sort of forget they've said it two minutes later yeah. and you just go, yeah, whatever. Like this press conference talk, but not one player has really gone that way. We wouldn't forget um, them saying it if they said it now. Now we'd no. be like, well, Jesus, right, that's a backing. And, and like it's hardly, is it a PR strategy? Has someone, has someone given them briefing notes to say this is what you say in response to this? I, I don't know. But like it's, it's to me, you know... At times, it can all seem very benign, and, and again, people are, are are trying to find a story that isn't there. But like you step back from that stuff and you look at the 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 interactions and how people generally interact um, in that sort of football setting, yeah. And you see things there that are are all forming a sort of sort of a strange pattern, which makes you think there's something lingering behind it. There's a YouTube comment in from Shane. Feels harsh. Uh, why are we having a homecoming for a team that finished bottom of the group? The men's team didn't get one after Euro 2012, and rightly so. Yeah, um, it's their first time, I think. I, I don't have an issue with it. I think I think if they get to the next Euros and uh, you know exit in the groups, I don't think there should be one. Mm. But I think like to reflect you know, the historic nature of this, I don't particularly have a problem with it. Um, I think the nature of even how things happened last November or October sorry you know you could argue like they didn't necessarily get that moment you know I know there was people greeting them at the airport and stuff like that Um, but I don't have a mad problem with it Um, but obviously again yeah I think it's it's because it's the you only have the first time once and I think that's probably the argument for it yeah and I don't think it's that grim uh, like I saw a video yesterday of the Kerry homecoming at the weekend where they'd arranged obviously in Killarney and Tralee players coming off the bus and it was a bit like a wake yeah. <laughs> you know like Kerry obviously ex- in a final expecting to win hoping to win <laughs> so I don't think the Irish homecoming this evening is going to be quite like that as you said it is a World Cup it's a moment to celebrate yeah, a conspicuously empty plinth <laughs> it would be yeah. <laughs> on which the World Cup would have sat yes <laughs> yeah just sitting there so it'll be, it'll be strange but as you say it's, it's a first World Cup I think it's, it's fair enough 
Uh, keep the comments coming in. Edward Freeman says, English managers treated awfully by the English press down the years. Stephen Kenny and now Vera Pau suffering the same stick and disrespect from journalists. Some of the questions of the World Cup were a joke. You have to ask these questions at the end of the day. I, I didn't hear many questions to me that struck me as no. unreasonable. No, and also I will say that like, yeah, Vera Pau very much controls the tone of her press conferences. Oh. It's actually something she's very good at. She's a very good communicator in that setting. Um, so... I look, I mean, this just sounds self-serving. It's like, oh, here's a member of the media saying the media aren't asking bad questions. But um, I don't, like, there have been times, you know, maybe at times even in the Kenny stuff where I, I wouldn't have been mad maybe on aspects of, of, of things. But um, I, I think I think a lot of the tougher questions that have been asked of Vera Pau, like should have been asked at various times. I mean, during this World Cup, I mean, there has been some, yeah, sort of some mad things happening. You know, the Columbia game and what happened before that and, you know, the that being called off and injuries and again, like, you know, there was a high profile investigation that, that she actually was sort of keen to happen, I suppose, in a way. So uh, I I think uh, I think you have to go there. Uh someone else has commented as well saying this is Strawberry Boba. Good morning, Strawberry. Where's Shane? <laughs> Where's Shane's Dublin jersey? Now that he lives in Dublin, he must support them now, according to his own logic. Or is this one-way logic? Strawberry, if you were listening to me yesterday, this is all over. So there was a, a video, we were talking about it yesterday, in Ashburn, uh, at the GA Club in Ashburn, in the bar. They were all watching, they had a bit of a party to watch the All-Ireland Final. Similar party, I'm told, happened for the Tottenham Cup Final with me to take, take uh, part. Uh, but this All-Ireland watch party, D- Dublin versus Kerry, in the Ashburn County Meath GA Club, was plastered with Dublin jerseys. So I'm not saying that Dublin people who have moved to Ashburn to live, fair enough, commuter belt, a little bit cheaper than Dublin City, I'm not saying that they should now be Meath fans. What I'm saying is it's just it's, it's an organised event in the GEA club and there's not a Meath jersey. And not, not that they should be wearing Meath jerseys, but I'd imagine Meath people want to carry to win at the weekend. I'm not saying that because I live in... We're not all Dublin fans now that we live in Dublin. That's fair enough. I'm not going to tell people who to support. I just think it's a... It, it, was, a, it was a funny one. I think if it would be like... Um, What's the equivalent in Mayo? Um, Balladrine. Balladrine, basically. They were all wearing Roscommon jerseys. I mean, mm. it's similar lines. Uh, yeah, but it's tough when you see, like, I think um, I've had this before. There's a couple of footballers who are from Ashburn direction and you sort of, you, you refer to them as like the Mead native or something and it's... Feels wrong. It's not, well, like, where would you say, like, you know, where are the allegiances of like Nathan Collins and Evan Ferguson? They're actually routinely, mistakenly referred to as Dublin Dublin people, yeah, yeah. But actually, Evans they are, they're both Kildare, or sorry, Kildare and Meath. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Um, and like Nathan, Mark Travers is another one, he is more Kildare, but like this generally tends to happen. You'll see a lot of references to Nathan Collins, Dubliner, but I sort of asked, it's like, well, they're a leak slip, and they're sort of, they sort of straddle both sides, <laughs> you know, and it's... it's the train it's, goes out there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, I mean... Yeah, it's the accents, I think people get confused with the accents. Should we start calling, referring to footballers as from the pale? Mm. Footballer from the age twenty four from the pale. Historic mess to untangle there. I think controversial. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) good proof. Controversial. Um, Shifty lad, morning, shifty lad. He says, did Vera's Dutch demeanor come across as tough for the players? Straight talking should be admired. Yeah, like uh, maybe that, and it's personality thing. I'm not necessarily saying it's just her nationality, but it's her personality. Generally speaking. She is blunt in press conferences. Tony O'Donoghue asked her a question the other day about the contract situation and she replied with one word and left it at that. 
and even the the way she said Katie McCabe's not the manager I am or not the coach I am she didn't have to say that that was proffered by herself yeah so there are maybe just little things from a press conference that just like that's that's just that's just Vera do you know if this was a you know Stephen Kenny mightn't maybe go as far sometimes in press conferences no. although sometimes he wants to get his point across and he'll speak for four, five, six minutes and no but if, if your player was sort of remonstrating them to make substitutions it would become a massive story mm. you know if that was the case and it would be portrayed in a particular way um, so yeah I, like, I think I think some people there will be people out there who who, who like that bluntness from yeah. and, and their personality will naturally lean towards that mm. they like that type of management and then there are obviously the conflicting view will be I suppose sometimes you might have with these managers who can be quite intense and blunt and this extends to all codes and you can think of like the strong characters that go that further sometimes sometimes there can be a shelf life to that yes that the voice is very effective and achieves a goal but do you eventually reach a point where maybe that loses its effectiveness mm, and sometimes possibly. like you know it wouldn't be the first international team that like a just a length of time away for a major tournament it's very different to anything you do during a qualify you know qualifying campaign you might be together for 10 days mm. but that was a big thing with trap in in, in Ireland in the year 2012 like they the longest they'd been together prior to that was probably maybe 8 days 10 days yeah. in a training camp and all of a sudden it's 5 weeks and by the end of it it was sort Breaking of point. done yeah yeah, yeah 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 but the contract was already signed and the thing sort of limped along for another year mm. Uh, this we've already mentioned Evan Ferguson's name, but John O'Leary says in the YouTube comments, any concerns that Evan Ferguson hasn't started a preseason game for Brighton with Welbeck and Joao Pedro starting ahead of him? Um, ah, no, I wouldn't. Like, I, th- I think with Ferguson, it's the second season though, like it's first full season, really. You know, like he, he only broke in halfway through last season, so I wouldn't get carried away with it. I think, like, you know, the management may look to do things with a player in a particular way to sort of. I think they, even last year they were quite good. Like he wasn't playing every game. They took him out of the firing line at times and they rotated him. Um, but it's yeah, it's true. Like I think with Evan Ferguson, there's such an obsessive focus on him now yeah. that like if he doesn't start a game, it'll prompt a crisis. When like he's he's way ahead of every average and every sort of metric of where someone would be. Um, I wouldn't be too concerned. But I mean, it was mentioned to me by someone the other day. All right, that was the case. But. Um, yeah, you just don't know where people are at in pre-season. There could be, like, he had a, a sort of an injury interrupted still, like, second half of last season. Mm. You know, with everything that happened, he still had a couple of injuries and they might just be monitoring that. Yeah. Uh, on Irish football, Shamrock Rovers and Ferenc Faros, this uh, is going to be an exit from Europe for, for Shamrock Rovers, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, there's no need to dwell on that one too much, no, yeah. But they, they, we could dwell on the money. Like the, So they made over three and a half million in UEFA money last year. Um this is going to be 810,000 euros. Yeah. Like that's a bit of a, a blow. I'm not, I'm not saying in budgets they'll have planned necessarily for another three and a half million, but it's certainly a financial, it will have financial implications for the club, you'd imagine. Well, yeah, I don't know it's so much the implications, like as in, you know, it's really worrying. It's just more the case of stressing they, they can't afford too many years like this one, mm. I would think. I mean, like the accounts will show, like they're not a club that's been say turning profits in recent years but they've had certain things that have happened like the qualification like Gavin Bazunu that have given yeah. them like injections and you know they they won't have budgeted I don't believe for, for, for more than that but at the same time there would have been a realistic expectation that with that champions route that they go into it's not anticipated that you 
you lose your first game, you lose your second game and you're out. Generally, there's quite a soft landing when you lose your first Champions League game and you play a team you should beat. And you ended up playing Ferenc Varis, which is unlucky. I mean, I should mention, like Ferenc Varis lost to the team from the Faroe Islands. Mm. Yeah. When you were in your three and a half hour uh, sort of dark place last night, <laughs> I was in my own place following like, you know, the scores around Europe. So Claxvik, the champions of the Faroe Islands, they've dumped out Hungary, Hungary's champions, Ferenc mm. Varis, and they beat the Swedish champions on penalties last night. So now they're now guaranteed group stage football. Right. And, like, there's a broader debate about like European results now. And it's mad how people will just look at the, you know, the, bra- the the country name and brackets after a team and like draw assumptions. Yeah. And you now have a situation where people would say, "Oh, Rovers, where our clubs are miles off," but actually, a club from the Faroes have now won two Champions League ties and are guaranteed at least uh, Conference League groups. Now, maybe that embarrasses you in some ways because it, it it says, "Well, hang on, if they can do it, why can't we?" Yeah. Or it just reflects that it's cup football, it's knockout football, and crazy things can happen. And not every year should be the subject for a massive state of the nation debate about where things are. But Rovers have been very disappointing and their team is old and they're missing their most important players at the worst time, like Jack mm-hmm. Byrne, Neil Ferrugia, uh, all the pace of the team, the main creative players of the team, but they have been poor. And while you know they can, they can, justif- they can sort of cope, I think, with one year like this, their whole plan is about getting into Europe every year and then getting through a couple of rounds. And it's not always going to be that three million, but it definitely will be hoping to wait, make way more than eight hundred grand, and that's why there will be people nervous behind the scenes, no doubt. Yeah, Jack Byrne going to stay by the sound of it. Well, certainly there'll be no, so as clear. Stephen Bradley said, no quick fire exit anyway because of the European exit. But not sure when he's going to be back. That's the problem. Yeah, he's like, seen a knee specialist at the minute. So, they, so Shamrock Rovers were playing Derry in the, the second game after the break and it was, a, it was a big night for him. looked like that's a big step towards regaining the league mm. and with 10 minutes to go in the last 10 minutes Jack Byrne got a knee injury and Neil Ferrugia got a hamstring injury and it may well be that that, that 10 minutes has sort of derailed their season. Mm. Uh, a concern. Derry City can do it Derry, yeah, Derry and the Dock are still alive uh, Derry are 2-1 up going to Finland against the Finnish league leaders I watched that game last week they were decent Derry they've got a lot of their better players back they've got a sort of a core of players there who would have been at Dundalk and they're mm. you know a strong sort of European campaigns and they're talented footballers who can keep the ball they've got actually a good balance for Europe maybe even a better balance than Rovers in some ways that they have like uh, they play with wingers and I think if you're going away from home you know, they can absorb some pressure but they can break quickly so I'd give them a chance then Dundalk are chasing two goal deficit against a team from Iceland they should not have lost that game by two goals last week they had they conceded all three shots on target and they had 65% possession but I just fear that they've left themselves with a little bit too big of a mountain to climb I think if they were 3-2 down I'd be pretty confident they go through tonight I think 3-1 mm. I'm not sure if they're good enough defensively to get it done but I'm heading to that game and I certainly expect something to happen I don't expect it to be routine yeah. um, but maybe uh, and look at there you go if two teams lose to Icelandic teams in one year you definitely are entitled to look at go well hang on what are they doing yeah um, like that Faroe East team are part time like they are going to they're, like, what they're doing is absolutely off the charts so it's, it's one of these things that people are going to pick up on I think around the world yeah. the story of Claxvik because the, the dog played them to get into the group stages in, in 2020 during Covid and people said oh, the dog luckiest, so lucky to end up playing this team from the Faroes but they've come back and they've like they're doing extraordinary things and that should, that should probably inspire people and think well hang on if, you know, these things can be done especially with part time players if they're, if they're doing that with those resources 
uh, anything can, can be done uh, Kane Rose says Pedro will be a serious threat to Evan's spot very good player I can see Ferguson going to Spurs if Kane leaves oh, don't mm. say that <laughs> don't let that happen um, Tommy says if Roy Keane was giving the same answers as Vera we would all think it's hilarious and be loving every minute of it again Roy Keane's a pundit not the manager it's true yeah mm. yeah yeah it's fair Kevin Power lads as someone whose family comes from one kilometre from the Cork Kerry border on the Cork side brackets thank god if you were caught wearing Kerry jersey, you'd be finished. No excuses for those Meath lads. I think that's the point. They're maybe not Meath lads. They're probably dubs in Meath. They don't identify. They don't identify as... Yeah, yeah. It's the kids I'm, I'm concerned about. Do you know? There's kids There's kids there with, with Dublin jerseys on. <laughs> Can someone please think of the children? <laughs> who... who I'm, I'm, and I'm making assumptions here. Potentially play football for Ashburn and their parents are dubs or one parent is a dub. And maybe that, that allows them to support Dublin on that day. But, you know, if you're, if you're a little kid and you're growing up in Ashburn... I want you to hate Dublin. I'm not. I'm not calling for Dublin hate here. But I mean, it's nice to have a little bit of county rivalry. Do you know, we have mm, it in. We have it with Tyrone. I, I mean, John Egan was wearing a Kerry jersey the other day. Didn't see. I mean, yes, his father a Kerry legend. Yes, yeah. Um, but he grew up in Cork. Where's the? True. Where was? Where was the disdain for see, John there Egan? Has, there's an asterisk over that. You know, if your father was a legend of that. Of the, I see. Well, how do you? Well, like, maybe, <laughs> maybe some of these the Ashburn maybe. parents have been great members of the Dublin community, just in, in a different sphere. Yes. So if, if it's true sport, you're entitled to like. In sport, it's fine, but if just in life, you know. I'm not going to lie; I don't care that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've just given a take, Shane. Yeah. Now you're just like, I've made a mistake here. Yeah. You've got yeah. me there. Yeah. Yeah. So not invested, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As it turns out, Celtic uh, says half of Ashburn comes from Finglas, though. Uh, <laughs> I'm not calling for Dublin hit, but dot dot dot. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not calling for Dublin hit. I'm not calling for Dublin hit. I just think a little bit of county rivalry would wouldn't go amiss. Can we write a colloquial rule as to? how far you can be out of Dublin and still be a Dublin supporter. Like, if maybe Ashburn maybe. is at the end of a Dublin bus line, are they technically okay? If Dublin bus goes there, it could be one I way of looking at it. I think it does yeah. go there, doesn't yeah. it? It does go to Ashburn. A mm. uh, couple of transfers, Connolly and Horgan in the championship. Yeah, well, Darren Horgan's come back to Dundalk, um, having been at Wickham mm. and others, and like that is a great signing for them. Like he's 17 caps for Ireland. Like he last played two years ago, so he's not 35. Like he's you know he's he's 30. Darren yes. Horgan. So um, I just think that's I think I think probably just to have a a player of that quality at a team that's not necessarily like a maybe a title challenging one at the moment. I think that's just good just to spread the talent around a bit. So that's great. Like you know there's a real buzz around Dundalk even though he's not eligible for the European game tonight mm. um, they'd be playing Club Bruges if they were to get through and I think he'd be involved and it's, yeah it's great to see him Aaron Connolly another Galwegian um, yeah I'm not sure about Aaron Connolly like it's it's. I mean he, when you think about Aaron Connolly being the sort of the, the, the two goals against Spurs Brighton's sort of next Irish superstar mm. and the fact that him leaving the club on a permanent basis is something that's a bit of a footnote like you yeah. know it's it's not like a back page story it's not sort of something that people are are actively like really discussing like it's it's a point of interest but you look at it another way it's like well that's Aaron Connolly leaving a Premier League club um will he get back there will Aaron Connolly play in the Premier League again yeah it's a it's a debate point I mean, he has played in Ireland for Ireland for over a year um so i don't know like i mean the the, the reports when he went to Hull at the start of last sorry earlier this year where that even in training wise and stuff he was applying himself quite well and that's good because that I mean there have been concerns about maybe just his application and then he got injured so it's up to him mm-hmm. he'll respond from this 
um, and the shape of his career in the next five years will be dictated by what happens. In fact, the shape of the rest of his career will be dictated by this season, my whole. Yeah, 100%. We'll have loads more uh, between now and 10 o'clock as well. Craig Ray standing by to talk South African rugby. They'll be in our group in the World Cup, of course. Sarah O'Donovan to preview the Camogie final this weekend. 8.25am that's uh, Cork versus Waterford this weekend so we get the, the I guess the Cork side of things the non-biased side of things from Sarah to be fair as per usual uh, Sports News around 8.45 with John who's back in studio and also in studio 8.55 special trade Conor McManus will join myself and Dan uh, in here and then at half past nine we'll play you uh, the World Cup show uh, before we get to the rugby lads I guess a little talking point of the rugby and Cameron you may or may not have strong feelings on this mm. Jersey numbers or na- name num- names on the back of rugby jerseys. Yeah. It's not a done thing at the moment. No, so this is off the back of um, the Irish rugby team announcing that they will have the names on the back of their jerseys for these warm-up games. It's, it remains to be seen whether they'll be on the back of the jerseys for the World Cup. Do They're most teams make do it for the World Cup? I, no. No, this is a very new thing. England, yeah. Scotland and Wales and I think Italy also do it at the moment. Um, but at the World Cup would be a very new thing and it's just something I cannot get behind at all I think it's um, I think it's, Why? It's, see rugby is one of the last sports where the number is incredibly significant in terms of the symbolism of the players so you know when you get a number 10 jersey for Ireland let's say Jack Crowley gets the Italy jersey the jersey for Italy this yeah. weekend that's you're handing it down from the likes of Johnny Sexton, Ronan O'Gara, Ollie Campbell, all those stars. That ten has significance. Whereas if it has a name on above it, I think it just devalues it slightly. Mm. And look, my brother was making the point that they have their names on the jerseys anyway because they're sewn in just at the hip there. Um, like every jersey is new for every game, but mm. I just think the idea behind it is it just waters it down ever so slightly. Rugby and look, I'm one of those. I'm not someone who's a uh, stuck in their old ways but I think it's a case of reject modernity embrace tradition I like the symbolism around when someone takes the 13 jersey you're like that's Brian O'Driscoll's number that that was a jersey he imbued a lot of great moments with uh, or imbued with a lot of great moments and I do, yeah I'm not a fan of that I really don't like it I think it's strange I think it, um, it it'll also kill off the novelty jersey market which is terrible um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of it I'm at all. For it. Is the squad numbers for a tournament? Then are you saying it's going to be like for the? For I presume they'll get it's it's or is in the game World by Cup game? They'll get game by game squad numbers. A game a game by game squad numbers. So your 15s, your fullback. That's just no. Yeah, but like so they're not going to have different numbers during the tournament. No, no. Game by it, game. Would, if, Whereas like, in football, you do that for the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, if they if you're doing that, go whole hog and just have 26 Crowley for the entire tournament. Mm. That would be that would make more sense. Right? Way more sense. Yeah, I guess. I guess seems inefficient to be just putting names on, changing it for every game. Mm. Yeah. It's just reckless spending. It is exactly, and it's not like these are unrecognisable players for commentators. You know, it's not. No, it's not that sort of thing. And players change from game to game. Like Henshaw could play twelve one week and thirteen the next. It's yeah. not like oh, twelve's his number now. Yeah. It's so fair. I can't get behind this, um, but you know. I am it's looking forward to uh, this is the hill I'm going to die the on. The hill is angrier than Ashburn people. Like I mean, is this? Uh, yeah, yeah. On the scale it, of outrage, where do we put uh, names and rugby shirts versus Dubs in Meath? Yeah, possibly above. Although possibly above. Fergus Kyo's gotten in touch saying he's from North East Paris and still a Dublin supporter, is that okay? And it's not okay. You should be Parry Gales and France GAA. Fair enough. That's Niall says no names on rugby jerseys. No, not even practically. Crowley would have had to start in 22 jersey versus Australia last year. Uh, when last second Sexton injury, I, I don't know. It's it's, and then Flying Hellfish says they get new jerseys for every game, lads. That's anyway. Yeah. Well, look, 
I've addressed that point. I like everyone like it. But Cameron, I appreciate your, your views and thoughts. Thanks for coming in. The Cameron Hill today on this Always morning. It's a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. 8.05am on this Thursday morning's OTBM with myself and Dan with you right through until 10 o'clock. We're sticking with rugby now. Delighted to welcome to the show this morning, Craig Ray, the South African rugby writer. Craig, how are things? Morning, guys. Nice to see you, Sean. Thanks for hopping on. What's your take on numbers, on, or sorry, names on rugby jerseys? I'm with Cameron on this one. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, the Springboks, uh, the Bulls have done it in the past in Super Rugby. Um, but they even went further. They, they didn't put surnames. They put the first name. So it was just like, Johan, Bucky's, Victor, <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I don't like it. I, I mean, rugby, the numbers are very position specific. Mm. Um, and so even in the, the team, like the Springboks have changed 13, there's 13 players between last week and this. Um, but you know that your outside centre is 13 and your open side flank in South Africa is going to be number six. And that's just how it is. So whoever wears that jersey, it's very um, clear what his position and his role is. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm coming around. I'm coming around to the idea, uh, Craig. But uh, I guess we wanted to get John to talk about the South African angle of things. Of course, we'll be in the same pool in the in the World Cup. 23rd of September is a date we're all looking forward to. A um, little bit of trepidation, I guess. I guess it's the same on both sides. But um, from a Springbok point of view, so you've got the match against Argentina this weekend, the first of three Rugby World Cup warm-up games for the Springboks. Uh, Jacques Nienaber, of course, will announce his final 33-man squad for the World Cup. Uh, next Tuesday, August eighth, before these games against Wales and New Zealand, what's the the level of confidence like in in South Africa at the moment, Craig? I think it took a bit of a dent last week, actually. Well, the last two matches because uh, they opened the Rugby Championship with a forty three twelve win over Australia, which could have been sixty if they were a little bit more clinical. Uh, Australia very poor that day. The Springboks did play well, and there was a real buzz about the Springboks and a lot of confidence, and then. They had sent, they had split the squad, they had sent about uh, 13 players on to New Zealand because of the short turnaround between matches to prepare for the New Zealand test. And uh, within 20 minutes of that game, uh, reality set in. The All Blacks played brilliantly and uh, the Springboks were on the back foot, I think 17-0 down in 20 minutes and it was a slog from there. But I suppose when you take the emotion out of that, if you look at sort of minute 30 to 70 of that game, uh, the Springboks actually won all the small battles. And, and look quite good. So there was a lot to take out of it when you when you remove the result. And then last week's game against Argentina was a very funny one. Um, I think uh, the the big incident at the beginning of the game where scrum half Grant Williams was knocked out, mm. and uh, you know that just sort of seemed to I don't know it just sucked all sort of momentum from the game. It had only just started, and there was a seven eight minute delay while they dealt with the injury and. I don't think the Springboks ever really just got into the game. And to be fair, Argentina were very good as well. So um, they got away with the win. But it's it's certainly shown that uh, the Springboks are going to have to be a little bit more consistent. I think that's been the big takeaway. They've been very inconsistent in these first three games. They've been great in patches and really poor in other patches. That incident that you mentioned, Craig. Um, so, uh, as you say, Grant Williams knocked out cold. The Argentinian fullback Juan Cruz Maya uh, blocking down his kick just ten seconds into the match, collides with uh, Williams's head. He's forced off with concussion. This is an Irish referee as well, Andrew Brace. In this match, decided it was a rugby incident. Maya uh, wasn't sanctioned at the time, but then cited after the match. Um, there's been a lot of question marks over this incident and, and whether or not the the officials got it right on the pitch. What's your take on it? 
Yeah, I wrote a whole column on it. It's very difficult because Brace, in the in the framework he was working in, the, I mean, the first question is, is there contact to the head? And that's, yes, that's quite obvious. Uh, there was contact to the head. Then the second question is, was it foul play? And he decided it wasn't. And the minute he, he decides that, the next step of the equation is play on. So if the referee decided on the field it's not foul play, then play on. Um, he then had another look at it after the, the whistle blew to stop play because Williams needed attention. And he came to the same conclusion. He said the player could do nothing about it. He was committed. He was in the air. Now, my initial thought was I was with the referee on this. I thought, well, you're asking players to attempt charge downs. You're asking players to commit. He came through. He jumped to try and charge down a kick and and collided with uh, Williams, which seemed unfortunate. But watching it again, he turns in the air. He he takes off from about five meters before you know ahead of Williams. You've got to say there's an element of recklessness about it. Mm. Um, and for the referee to quickly make that decision uh, that it was just a, a rugby incident was was perhaps where they they uh, they might have taken a little bit more time to look at it a bit more closely. But then, <laughs> another but. But then we we've had this with fans before. I sometimes feel that referees and TMOs can convince themselves as a sniper on the grassy knoll by looking at things over and over and over again in, in, in super slow motion. Um, I think it was foul play in the sense that it was clumsy and reckless and perhaps it deserved a yellow card at the end of it. But I understand why Andrew Brace did what he did uh, within the framework of the game. He decided it wasn't foul play and the next part of that equation is then we play on. Um, so... Uh, it, it 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 was it's highly controversial. I think they've got to simplify this whole thing for referees. I think if if they're going to be serious about head injuries, the starting point has got to be if there's contact to the head, it's foul play, whether it was intentional or not. I think that's got to be the the um, the starting point from here on in, because now you're asking the referee to interpret foul play as well. And it, was it foul play? Did the guy? If you hit him in the head, it's foul play, and then we can decide about mitigating circumstances. Is it a yellow card? Is it a red card? Is it just a penalty? So I think we've got to start with foul play for head contact, whether it's intentional or unintentional, and that might simplify the matter. Yeah, I think the people say these things shouldn't be a grey area, but the reality is that sometimes they are grey areas. You know, these decisions they're they're tough to to come to. So you can understand both sides of of the argument in some in some ways. Um, one man named in the Springbok team starting lineup for this game on Saturday Craig is Jean Klein a, a man who we know very well over these parts of the Munster second row of course second appearance he's going to make in Buenos Aires um, so we only made a South African debut of course last month that, that 43-12 win over Australia that you mentioned um, having previously played five times for Ireland part of the World Cup squad four years ago uh, is he in with a, a real chance of, of being involved for South Africa or is he is he more of a squad player what's the What's the feeling on John Klein down there? Look, he played very well. His debut, he, he put in a very good shift. It was a, it was quite an eye-catching performance, I thought. Um, I think he's got a big opportunity tomorrow. If he has a big game uh, on Saturday, rather, or early hours of Sunday morning, our time, he's, uh, he's certainly going to uh, make a case for himself. I, I, I think it's Marvin Ori and he are, are slightly different. They, they're partnering tomorrow. Um, but the Springboks probably could do with a number four, another number four lock in the Ebenezer Beth Mole uh, in the squad, uh, and and Klein fits the bill. So I think 
another big performance, and he'll he'll certainly be uh, in consideration. But he is a late comer to the squad. The Springboks have pretty much used they used forty three players this year so far. They've had forty three players in the squad, um, and you know he hasn't been part of the squads for previous years. It's pretty much the same group they've they've taken through two or three years. So it would be a little surprise if he does make the final cut. But uh, from a performance level, there's no reason why I shouldn't. And um, Craig, I'm just wondering about this book, um, the Razzy Erasmus Stories of Life and Rugby, which is going to be, it's coming out, what, 10 days before the tournament starts. It does appear that some little sort of uh, tidbits are coming out of it already, um, which seem to be sort of quite revealing in some ways, you know, the previous resignation threat in 2021. So I'm just curious, generally, what's the response been to like the timing of this release and do people feel in any way this could be possibly unsettling or is it just sort of typical of the character and people are sort of shrugging it off yeah look i i haven't really dipped into the book much i, I got a copy yesterday so i've just had a, a brief glimpse at some of the things I, there hasn't been too much talk about it dan to be quite honest it's been um it's mostly been about the Springboks and their performance. The book has certainly not seen too much written about it. Or there, there, were, there were some extracts, as you point out there, uh, about almost resigning. But I think you mentioned that as well um, in the documentary that came out in South Africa about a year ago, Rusty Rasmus story, and that was mentioned in that documentary. So what I've seen is not much, and maybe it's because I'm closer to the game, it doesn't feel like there's a lot new what I've heard. Uh, mm. The timing is curious. I, I, I always think that, you should publish a book after the World Cup campaign rather than before. <laughs> yeah, and certainly just from a purely sales point of view, if you can get it out in time for Christmas, if you win the World Cup, it's you know you're going to make great sales. And if you don't win the World Cup, people want to know why you why you messed up. Uh, so I, I think the the timing is a bit odd though, to to release a book in August. Um, you know, either you go for Christmas or some sort of holiday season or. Easter or something, it, it does seem a bit odd that it's come out at this point, but uh, the publishers might need to answer that question. I suppose get the juicy stories out in advance of the World Cup, sell some books, and then Possibly, do the up- yeah. updated version after the World Cup, regardless of the result, maybe. Um, what's the feeling, Craig, around Ireland in South Africa? Like At the moment, of course, the, coming off the back of the Grand Slam, there are high enough hopes in Ireland, you'd imagine, although, albeit there is the, the impending doom that is the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal that has been for us uh, the stumbling block in, in recent tournaments but how do South Africans feel about that Irish team at the moment? Oh, look, I mean Ireland we know that beat South Africa last year in Dublin I mean there's no no one in South Africa is under any illusions how good Ireland are um, and I, I think from a Springbok point of view though uh, we all, uh, me included initially, oh, September the 23 circle that day, that's the, that's the big game in the group but as we saw in 2019, you know, the Springboks lost to the All Blacks and still cruised through the group. The Springboks have, have said it. They're not too worried about the Ireland game just yet. Their only focus is Scotland on September the 10th. because, And that makes sense because that's the other real banana peel game in the group. If they beat Scotland, then the Irish game almost doesn't matter because you're likely to advance whether you win or lose that game anyway. Mm. Uh, and then it's just your, your quarterfinal opponent. So the Springboks are really focused on the Scotland game and, and, and rightly so because you can't afford to slip up against Scotland because then the Ireland game becomes a knockout match. Uh, and, and Ireland similarly in the same boat. I mean, they, they only play the Scotland after they play the Springboks. So uh, they've got to somehow get through their first two games uh, and and the Springbok game 
And if they lose to the Springboks, suddenly the Scotland game becomes a knockout match for Ireland, possibly. I mean, Tonga could be a dangerous floater in that group. Um, so while the Ireland game is great in, in terms of matching two of the world's best teams currently, the world champions against the world number one side, and there's a lot to, to like about that, that matchup, um, I think the reality is Scotland are the real um, team in the group that could spoil the party for one of the two big teams. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there, there were a couple of big decisions for for Nina Arbor and Rasmus to make over the last number of weeks. Not not least the captaincy, which I know is a big deal in any in any country, but not least in in um, South Africa. Um, so the hooker Bongi Mbonambi has been named as captain. Is this a surprise? Uh, of course, Sia Khaleesi and Andre Pollard currently sidelined, um, and Dwayne Vermeulen in South Africa. So. This captaincy, I guess, was 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 a bit of a deal. Kanye Am, I suppose, was the other name on the on the shortlist. Yeah, I was a little surprised he he got it over Lukanyo Am because out of that group that went, they were probably the two obvious candidates for, mm. the, for the job. Uh, Bangi and Banambi is part of the leadership group and has been for the last four years. Um, they have these little uh, internal leadership groups, and he's one of the key uh, leaders in the group. And when they're on the field, they they, they play different roles. Uh, you know, the captain will obviously do what the captain does, but within that. Uh, Mbanambi is usually what they like to term good cop. So he will speak to the referee about the the, the um, picture the Springboks are presenting at scrum time, for instance. That's Mbanambi's role, even when he's not captain. So he has that kind of communication with the referee. So it's just a step up from that, um, you know, that he's, he's going to take on the role. And look, he's a fierce competitor. He's a guy who sort of plays with his heart in his sleeve and he leads by example. So yeah, he fits the bill quite well as a as, as a as a leader that the other men would want to follow, um, and I think it's quite a nice recognition for a guy who's played more than sixty tests as well, mm. uh, and has been, as I said, in the in this leadership role to to get some sort of formal recognition for it as well. Dwayne Vermeulen is the other name I mentioned, uh, and it's kind of similar lines to to Johnny Sexton. He he had his final home game Vermeulen uh, for South Africa recently. That tested Ellis Park against Argentina his final match on, on South African soil I know Schalke Berger has been out this week paying tribute to him um, I'm sure it's an emotional one it, it, the talk in South Africa certainly that I'm reading is, is that he's expected to go into coaching Craig is that the the path I guess we're expecting to see him take yeah I would imagine that that would be the, would be the way he goes Dwayne's quite a, a student of the game he really likes the technical and tactical side of the game as well so yeah I can't see um, that that he wouldn't go into that role, but I think he wants to play a little bit more rugby. Um, yeah, at the start of the international season, his place in the World Cup squad I don't think was guaranteed. Jasper Visa had clearly become the the first choice number eight, and it it just depends how they how they look at the makeup of the loose forward group. But uh, it appears now after two very strong Test matches, he's he's back in the mix, and I think he will go to the World Cup, and that will be swan song. Um, but I think he might still play some provincial rugby next year. But I think the, it, it, as far as test rugby goes, the World Cup will be it. And then uh, he's already does handle a lot of sessions at provincial level, defensive work and line-out sessions. He, he sort of does a lot of that work anyway. So uh, I think it will just be a natural extension for him. Yeah, it's a, it's a big name to hang off the boots. And it's certainly you mentioned leadership earlier. Um, like he, he adds a lot more than just a just playing level as well and that's probably why we're going to miss Johnny Sexton in some in some regards in this country is that when there's a, a gap from the dressing room and maybe there's not maybe he joins the Springboks coaching setup. I know he's been rumoured to, to maybe join one of the other the, the, uh, provincial teams over there as well but I guess that gap that vacuum in, in the dressing room is 
is the, is the important thing when someone like this leaves. Yeah, I think, you know, as you all know, you can't, you can't buy experience. You can't just produce it. It has to be gathered and gained over uh, years and decades even. So Sexton, Vermeulen, uh, Pollard, you take these guys out of a dressing room, uh, it does leave a void. Um, and you just can't fill it. It just has to be a, uh, a an organic thing. It will it will be filled in time as more players develop their, those those um, experience that experience. But uh, it's a big blow. And I guess what you're trying to do is make sure there's a lot of other experienced players in the dressing room. So when one one of the big names drops out and goes off, there's there's quite a lot of people to take up the you know the, the flack, as it were. I'm not asking you to do the uh, the scouting for us, uh, Craig, but. If you were setting up to play this South African team and, and you were trying to pinpoint a weakness or two, where at the moment would you say those are? I think it's two areas, and the All Blacks exposed it. South Africa, weirdly, the kicking game has gone to pieces in recent weeks. They, they then, I remember, you guys will know, a few years ago, everyone was criticising the Springboks for the box kick and the kick chase, but they were they were very good at it. But they seem to be highly inaccurate at the moment. When they are kicking, the kicks are too deep. They're not putting enough pressure with the kick chase. So that that aspect of the game has fallen off. But I think the real weakness is the All Blacks showed it on defense under the high ball. The Springboks have been very shaky. The All Blacks' um, kicking game was superb uh, in, in Auckland a few weeks ago. And almost every kick they put up was contestable, and they won a lot of them, the All Blacks. They regained possession. So the Springboks are a bit shaky there. And then the defense out wide, it's not that Colby or Mapimpi or Orensa can't tackle. It's the Springbok defensive system of pushing in from the, from the outside in uh, is highly effective when they all are connected and they're doing it with pace. But sometimes if the attacking side is brave enough, they can beat the rush on the outside. And the Springboks have been exposed wide a few times, which means the, the scramble defense has to get across. Uh, Australia scored like that in the, the test in Pretoria. So th- those are probably two aspects. The defence, it's re- largely down to defence and it's their, their wide defence and their, their defence under the high ball. Um, Craig, I'm going to throw you a bit of a tangent here because I see you were, you were tweeting about the South African women and their exploits in the, the World Cup. I'm sort of more of a football uh, a football person myself. I'm actually just curious how that's been received because it's... Um, it's a, it seems like a great sporting story um, from afar, but I don't know how that's sort of gone down in South Africa. Or is there much? Is there much hype oh, was around that? Yeah, I, I, look, I think women's football. I don't know what the situation is in Ireland, but it's 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 gaining traction, but slowly. It's way behind men's football, unfortunately. But Banyana Banyana, the women's team have you know, they won the the women's African uh, Cup last year. Uh, which was a first, and that really put them on the map, and they uh, that that received a lot of uh, airtime, a lot of support, and then making the World Cup this year, and of course yesterday's result, the, the country went went mad. It was it was great to see that like, South Africa was really getting behind the women, and it's more so because the South African Football Association is a, a fairly poorly run organisation, yeah. and. Um, there was a big pay dispute before the women's team left for the World Cup. FIFA, of course, guaranteed uh, all players in the in the group phase, I think, $30,000 each, which will be paid directly to the players. Uh, South Africa's women's footballers who are, are largely amateur or semi-professional, there's a couple of professionals in the side, wanted more from uh, SAFA, the South African Football Association, and, and, and SAFA just refused or couldn't 
said they couldn't afford to pay them properly. Uh, and that led to a, a strike. They, they boycotted playing a warm-up game against Botswana. Um, and eventually, uh, Patrice Motsepi, one of the richest men in Africa, he stepped in through his foundation to find the extra funding for the women's team uh, to guarantee bonuses and, and so on. And just as well he did because, uh, you know, by making the knockout stages now, there will be extra extra pay. So I see on social media today, Safa are taking a pounding from people uh, saying, well, you know, you guys should stump up the money and, and, and pay these players what they're worth. And let's be honest, they've gone further in a World Cup than the men's side ever did. They qualified for a World Cup, which the men's side has not done uh, since 2002. I think it was 2010 we qualified as hosts. So, um, yeah, the women's side is, is, is really performing well above what it should be performing at. And that's testament to their own skill and the coaching and, and their own commitment. Yeah, absolutely, we're going to follow that journey. First time, as you say, into the, the knockout stages, it's the Netherlands. So nice, handy fixture for South Africa up next uh, this Sunday in Sydney. We'll keep an eye on their story. Definitely one of the fairy tale stories of this Women's World Cup. Craig, thanks many for hopping on this morning. Great stuff. Nice to see you, Shane. Nice to see you, Dan. Brilliant stuff as always Great. there. Craig Ray, the South African rugby writer and, of course, football writer as well, in fairness. Well, yeah, the, um, yeah, the banana, banana. <sighs> Because I was watching, I, I I made the silly, silly, silly mistake yesterday evening of or afternoon. I was in the office and it was two two, and Phil Egan was watching in the office yesterday afternoon, and I had to go out and grab a coffee. And didn't I leave a two two with maybe eighty seven, eighty eight minutes in the clock? So. Bad timing. Yeah, ah. great celebrations. Like one for the montage. Like you had Jamaica and Brazil yesterday too. And um, there's been like um, some proper upsets. Um, but okay, I'm sort of curious that because I was in South Africa for 2010. For the for the World Cup, the men's World Cup, and like there was actually a sort of great emotion behind, you know, the, their journey there. But it ended very quickly. Yeah, you know? and I see there's some suggestion they might try and bid for a women's World Cup. So it'd be interesting to see how this would pan out for them. But I think I think the women's game probably needs that. I think previously some of the, and I've seen Nigeria do quite well, but but previously I think in the latter stages it's been quite dominated by some of the more traditional. Um, forces um, and it seems like this tournament is breaking the mold for that a little bit as long as we never hear the uh, Vuvuzelas ever again oh no I won't have a bad word said against oh you're, you're a fan yeah definitely right. they're terrible on TV okay but they are part of the the culture the stadium you know? environment as they well, are probably. part of the same it's like you, well, like we've what, let's, I mean let's bring the tournament to a country and just tell them to not behave as they normally <laughs> would at a sports match yeah. you know like uh, let's have a, the homogenisation of, uh, of, of everything oh, this doesn't suit me in my world but like we brought it to Africa so like yeah. You know, it's better than a Mexican wave, I suppose. Yeah, you know, you can't be just bringing like bringing the dubs to me. You can't just get no. involved to like, you know, get involved with the local. What if what if exactly. just go there? You bring the World Cup there. You should do what the local people there do at football matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's you need to be consistent with your with your maybe that's your it. That's why the there. dubs that move to me should wear me jerseys. Oh yeah, that's actually true. Oh, so yeah. you're absent. That's the that's the opposite point. <laughs> you, you, you're correct. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there eventually on that argument. People are, are ripping me apart in the comments, but sure, that's that's part part and parcel of it. Uh, Eight twenty eight a.m. on this Thursday morning's OTB AM. Should mention Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Braeburn Coffee is coming to an Apple Green near you. New Braeburn locations are popping up every month. So visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience. After this short break, Sarah O'Donovan previewing the Camogie final. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Yeah, it's approaching half past eight on Thursday mornings, OTB AM, with myself and Dan with you through till 10 o'clock this morning. Time to turn our attention to the Camogie final this weekend. Upcoming Cork versus Waterford. Sarah O'Donovan, good morning. 
Good morning, lads. How's it going? Keeping well. We were uh, we were chatting, as you know, to Chloe Moore yesterday, and she made the point that the entire country, bar one county, is supporting Waterford this weekend. How does that feel to to know that everyone is against you? It's probably true. It's <laughs> this is the David versus Goliath story. This is the mead of the ladies' football world <laughs> opportunity for Waterford. If they were to do this, that would be the scenario. This would be coming up from Division One B. Having never, I suppose, really challenged any of the teams, no team has challenged Cork, Kilkenny or Galway since 2012. Dublin tried it in 2017, failed to make the final. Tipperary failed to make the final and Watford come out of nowhere, parachuted into the final on Sunday. And I think they have a chance. They absolutely did come out of nowhere, didn't they? Like they, they, I don't think there was any people, any pundits giving them a chance at the start of the season, but the way in which they play... It's exciting as well. They go. I mean, they they go for goals. Cork tend to concede goals, so that sets it up a little bit um, nicely, I guess. Yeah, I I've been following the team since probably 2020. So I was in the management crowd with Dublin when we relegated them from the league in 2020, and really really concerned at the time. I was saying to you last week, Shane, that mm. Waterford would disappear. They've had. I think three different managers in the last five years. So that's another narrative that's kind of hard to to fathom. Dan Shanahan was in there in 2020. Derek Lyons, Callum Lyons' dad, was in there for the last number of years, done amazing work. And now this year, a new manager again in Sean Power. So, you know, they've had so many setbacks and they've had so much, I suppose, inconsistency in terms of their setups, their resources. The group themselves, though, has stayed together. And as you mentioned, ridiculous goals from the likes of Neve Rocket, Beth Carton, class, class players in the likes of Brianna O'Regan, Lorraine Bray. It's just such a solid, cohesive group. And I think that's why they're in the All-Ireland final on Sunday. When we chat about this Waterford team, we inevitably start talking about Beth Carton quite a bit. But I think there's there's good reason for that. I mean, she is she is brilliant, Sarah. And, and that's one large enough headache for, for Cork this weekend. It is I suppose from from Cork's point of view they've had large headaches all season yeah. so in Galway they've had some you know incredibly good players to be look especially the likes of Siobhan McGrath uh, Aoife Donoghue in midfield for Galway but they managed her uh, in terms of Kilkenny and what they you know did against Kilkenny in Croke Park just a, a short number of weeks ago again Cork have had to manage big players and have done so all season so I don't think Cork will be as concerned about one player as maybe the rest of the country will Cork, one thing mentioned by uh, by Chloe Morey and even yourself after the semi-final, I think it was as well, Sarah, was the, the Cork impact from the bench, the strength and depth. Like when you have people like um, Ashley Thompson coming off the bench sometimes and Hayes as well <clears throat> is another. That's that's something that I guess Cork can turn to because when you get to that you know, 45, 50 minute mark, that's what you need. You need that extra little burst. Yeah, but, you know, I was reading Carl O'Neill call, calling his uh, the subs for Limerick Herders, the bomb squad. Mm-hmm. Do Cork start the bomb squad or hold the bomb squad because you've got three all-stars on the bench there, Ashing Thompson, Orla Cronin, Laura Hayes, who didn't start the semi-final. You know, Matthew Toomey has a big question on his hands because do you go with your strongest 15 or do you start the consistent 15 that have got you to this point? I wouldn't like to be in his shoes this week trying to figure out his best 15. Which would you do, sir? go for broke I'd have every player if they're fit enough they're good enough they're on the starting 15 yeah I'd have Ashling in the only thing about Ashling, I suppose compared to Laura Hayes is Ashling's just back from an ACL she mm. did it I think 
September, October of last year. So to even get back in the time frame that she has is, is pretty ridiculous. Um, Laura Hayes had a foot injury in the start of the year. I don't know how impacted she is. Maybe they are on borrowed time. Maybe they are only able to pay for 20, 25 minutes, I suppose, which which is great for the girls who are starting because it you know gives them an opportunity to get in. But uh, I just don't know how fit the girls are and whether they have 60 minutes in them. So maybe the question has answered itself. There are some big selection headaches for Cork and it's not just those decisions to, to kind of start the bomb squad or not. Um, yeah. But I guess in a final, these, the, in some ways people would argue you stick with what, what, what's gotten you here. So I guess the semi-final team is the probably the favourite one. Yeah, and, and look, they've been very consistent all year. I was speaking last week about the dual player issue for Cork. They've had a really kind of tough summer in that consistently week on week they've had players going to the footballers one week staying with Camogie the next week the likes of Libby Coppinger Hannah Looney Orla Cahillan that's another headache for Cork both sides for the ladies footballers as well where you have players available but you're not sure whether they'll be playing Camogie or football in any week and then they're training with the footballers one night they're training with Camogie the other night if you look at the other teams involved in the championship uh Galway didn't have that headache. They don't have dual players. Kilkenny don't have dual players. So this is another kind of, I suppose, positive for Cork in that they've come through the dual player issue and beaten Kilkenny and Galway who didn't have the same issue. The other thing about this final, Sarah, is that it's it's a novel fixture. I mean, was someone saying the first time since 2012 that we haven't had, you know, the Cork, Galway, Kilkenny, mm-hmm. uh, I guess trifecta, two of them in, in it. So from that perspective, it's a good thing for Camogie, you'd imagine, stretches the stretches the horizons a little bit it does and and Antrim played in the quarterfinal against mm. Tip which was another novel pairing I suppose it's just from the point of view of the teams outside of the top six the resources that you need to be able to get into the top six and the money that you need to spend county boards would find it very difficult to consistently I suppose deliver those resources for the for those players so to keep Waterford's Antrim's the Tipperary's in around the top six and keep the competition competitive you have to spend money. Sarah, I was just reading the attendance on Sunday. I think the anticipation is sort of the 30,000 mm. territory. Um, and I know because it can sometimes be annoying around like your showpiece games that people end up sort of really analysing these things very closely and maybe not, not so much the match itself. But like, is that good? Is that sort of a, a respectable figure? Would there be a feeling there's more potential there to develop? Or is that sort of, yeah, that's reflective of where things are? I think 30,000 is reflective where things are. If you look at the, I suppose, the, the the League of Ireland, I suppose, is the kind of juxtaposition here because that's what you're, that's what I'd be identifying against. And what what would we get in the Aviva for an FAI Cup final in terms of the men's side? Would, would be, we look at 40,000 or 30,000? Yeah, I think it's been 30, it's, it's gone up to upwards of 35 the last couple of years. But after, after a couple of years where it fell well below it, yeah. yeah. And I suppose if, if we look at kind of them in comparison if you're getting ladies finals and you're getting 30,000 there and you're getting 30,000 at the men's finals, that's where I see it. I think it's bang on right now. Dublin and Meath in the ladies football was kind of the sweet spot for the ladies football yeah. to get them over the 50k because of the proximity. Um, but for for the setup, I suppose we had 7,000 people in Nolan Park two weeks ago um, for the Camogie semifinals. The hurling was on the Sunday. So again, that was a big showing for the Camogie side on a Saturday when you'd, I suppose, the showpiece and the hurling on the Sunday. So if you're looking at close to 50,000 people coming to the Camogie between the quarterfinals, semifinals and finals, that, that's pretty good. And uh, it should be on an upward trajectory then from there. Yeah, and I, I sometimes think like the week to week is more important or the, the rounds building up to it because the final is the final. Mm. But it's actually... 
to make it more than that one time a year, that one trip a year. And I think that to me is almost more significant than people sort of labouring on. It's easy sometimes to run free buses to a final or to do things like that. But it's actually the more consistency to me that's the, that's is the trend that you should be watching, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and look, this. It, it's hard to find a, a sweet spot in terms of whether you play the games on a Saturday evening, whether you play them on a Sunday, you clash them with the hurley, you clash them with the football. They're, they're, with this microwave championship or with the season being so short, they're running right into the men's games. And the question is, where, where do you take the kids? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's a real hard one. But semi-final was unbelievable in terms of the atmosphere in Nolan Park. And that was driven by Waterford. As they never stopped chanting from... <laughs> This was the 24th minute um, when they got the goal. They just kept going and that was a real driver for them. So I know uh, Chloe had said yesterday about the 16th man in Croke Park being really important. And, and, you know, Waterford bringing those crowds. Yeah, could be big. It could be big on Sunday for Waterford if, if they get the crowds in. Could have an impact for sure. Um, the, the other thing from the Cork perspective, Sarah, I guess, is the pain of losing consecutive finals. That's not something you, you get rid of too quickly, especially when it's this current crop that have, that have experienced it. Um, is that something you, that you can kind of utilise? Or, or is it, I guess each year is different, but I mean, it, it certainly has an impact that I guess that, um, that pain never leaves you. So this group has kind of, I suppose, under-delivered since 2018, but we're not talking, you know, massive margins. We're talking by a point, losing mm. to Kilkenny by a point, losing to Galway by a point. They've been losing games in, in you know, the last minute in injury time. Really, really heartbreaking stuff. Uh, Saoirse McCarthy got player of the match in the semi-final, uh, midfielder for Cork. This is her sixth season with Cork. We, year on year on year, she's been coming to the, I suppose, the ultimate ultimate minute and, and losing. So there's a lot of pain, I think, bottled for that group of girls. And the issue, I suppose, is, for them is, as Chloe mentioned yesterday, there's a big cohort of people would love to see Waterford do this. So Cork nearly have to cut out the noise, give a performance and if they deliver a performance on Sunday with the group that they have this game shouldn't be an issue for them. I was listening to a conversation I think with or reading with Amy O'Connor during the week mm. and <laughs> funny how she in an alternate universe could have been maybe coming home from, from Australia with this team from the same parish I think in Nocknahini as, as Denise O'Sullivan would have played underage um, even at an international level with her so that's that's an interesting strand as well that you know what a big week for her I guess she's been watching and following the Women's World Cup closely but we'll be in Croke Park on Sunday These would have been all her former teammates so there was an under 17 squad there a, a number of years ago which included Denise uh, Claire Shine um, Sarah to the Mayo footballer Sarah Rowe was I, in it as well yeah, no, yeah no. Sarah Rowe was in yeah. it yeah and Amy um, Amy has paced to burn lads uh, it, it, she's incredible but we're very lucky that she went to UCC and decided to to pit herself uh, with Kamui and play Ashburn and for her to be captain um, of Cork and I suppose she's a real talent right uh, and, a, and a goal scoring forward which which is crucial for Cork on Sunday um, it would be huge for her to bring it back to St. Vincent's really really proud club so I suppose she just has to block out the noise as well, right? And, and get the job done on Sunday because so many times in the last six years they've failed to get over the line. There are these annoying people, Dan, and, and sometimes it happens in the, in the office. <laughs> Jenny Claffey being one of them that's just super talented at a number of different sports. Sarah's another one as well. So Sarah, underage Irish soccer international. Yeah. As well as the Camogie. It's just, look, 
you, did you walk around school with the just the head held high, Sarah, and, and the ego? Just like, does it does it affect your personality? Is what I'm trying to ask. Uh, I went to an all girls school and they thought I was a massive tom- tomboy. <laughs> so I, I don't think they even took any notice. Uh, I was obviously very rarely in school in fifth and sixth year because I had so much on. Um, you weren't Mitchin, other- you weren't Mitchin, you were just, you actually had sport on, to be fair. Oh, yeah, up and down the train on a Friday, back to school on a Monday. Absolutely nuts stuff. Uh, would I recommend it? I think you, uh, you have to really. It's, yeah, it's an incredible experience to have, but. I suppose for for the likes of Amy and Denise, they came at, at such a such a positive time in, in Cork uh, soccer that they were they were in a great group and they mm. they became really successful. Yeah, I'd love to be ten years younger to <laughs> yeah. be able to get a chance to play professional soccer. Yeah, now there is like there's probably a whole there's generations there that probably missed those opportunities. I mean, mm. that's the reality. Like it's it's I think in other in other codes like we've we've generally sorted out sort of talent ID and, and you know the, the sort of the strongest can sort of get to the peak of their potential but there's obviously a couple of areas where that hasn't been the case at all yeah. I think definitely like women's football is definitely soccer like is 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 high up that list you know and there's opportunities there I think, I think people like Katie Taylor and people like that you know like mm-hmm. it's sort of um, yeah. I'm not saying she wouldn't have gone the route that she did but but clearly if there was a I don't know a full time contract somewhere at the age of 18 Sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 it's. Look, I mean, the flip side of that is that a lot of the players who are going to England now say the money actually isn't that good, and I think that this is a part of it as well. That it's it's actually it's great to commit to your passion, but it's not something that's setting them up longer term either. And that's why you kind of have to look at the education thing here, in my opinion. So there's a lot of there's a lot of elements to it, you know, and it's it's probably going to develop over the next period of time. The best players, I suppose, in my group as well. Katie Taylor was in was in my team, but uh, Mary Waldron and I don't know if you saw, she's retired this week. She's been playing cricket for the last, I think, thirteen years with Ireland. <laughs> mm. uh, Mary was our captain. She was an incredible soccer player. And uh, Mary Curtin was on RT this week uh, with this doing the soccer coverage again. An incredible soccer player. There's so many players who. I suppose look enviously now at the WSL, going, "What could have been?" Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those things. I guess you just have to make those. Sorry, I, I, uh, I call it mitching, but I'm told by by Colum, producer Colum here, Corkman, of course, that it's skiving in Cork. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it then? Um, well, I, I wouldn't know. Obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah, I, wouldn't of course. I only know when other people told me. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. What the word was? Nerd. I'm being called a nerd here. <laughs> I was head prefect, Colum. I'll have you know. So oh, I'm going to tell the principal on you. Uh, but thanks for that. Uh, no, the the other one I meant, I wanted to bring up, and we, we mentioned her name already. Sarah was was Ashley Thompson. Um, I saw it was Amy O'Connor actually talking about Ashley Thompson during the week, and she was praising her for injury recovery, um, and she kind of missed the stoppage time opportunity to level the decider last year against Kilkenny. So I'm sure she holds on to that. But is she someone that you would like to see? Well, I guess she is. She's part of that bomb squad. She starts. If she could start, that would be amazing. But. You know, in terms of her fitness, I don't know if she has sixty minutes with yeah. w- with with the ACL. Like, I suppose you'll find, and I found myself that you kind of get twenty thirty minutes, and the leg gets really tired, and then you don't have the energy to keep going. So maybe it is that this season she will be confined to that kind of second half. But she was incredible last year when she came on against Waterford in the semi final, mm. and they may have PTSD when they see her coming on in the final if you know if, if that's the case this time around because 
She literally turned the game on its head last year. Waterford were in control. They were looking really comfortable. And this powerhouse performance from Ashling from midfield last year in Croke Park. It'll be something that they'll probably watch this year to get it out of their system uh, b- before the game starts because it's Ashling's movement and the way she can sweep up so much, I suppose, the danger ball in front of Beth Carton. Yeah, Waterford have a lot of uh, a lot of plugs to to fill over the mm. next uh, couple of days to figure out how they're going to contain this Cork team because we haven't even spoken about Katrina Mackey mm. and she was so impressive in the semi final. Briefly, Sarah, who's winning and by how much? <laughs> Cork by six. Oof, that's fair. That's head and heart. I think that's not just that's just not just heart. That's Cork delivering a performance that they absolutely have to deliver. Mm. They owe this to themselves. Yeah, I can't wait for that final. It's going to be a cracker. And the, the intermediate and junior finals, of course, on, on Sunday afternoon in Croke Park as well. Sarah, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You too. Sarah Donovan there on the line with us. Just seeing news pop through at 8.45. Uh, we're getting messages about it as well. Tom Brady has become the new co-owner of Birmingham City FC and will apparently take a major hands-on role. Um Championship side bought by American Tom Wagner earlier this year. Tom Wagner, if you want to pronounce it that way. He's become, Tom Brady, a minority shareholder, multiple reports this morning, uh, of the Championship side Birmingham City, will assume the role of chairman of the club's advisory board. Announced this morning, the club, having undergone a takeover by Tom Wagner, as I said earlier this summer, announced his retirement, Tom Brady, from the NFL in February, after over two decades as a player. Uh, Just reading here, Brady has forged a close relationship with with Wagner's Knighthead company in recent years. He is also part of the group's ownership of Major League Pickleball uh, with his lifestyle apparel clothing company, the official apparel partner of Knighthead's World Endurance Championship Racing Team. That's there not something go. they expected Everyone to be talking about this morning. Bir- Birmingham City's history from Karen Brady to Tom Brady. Oh, wow. That story. There was, you go. That was quick. Yeah, no, that, that's where she uh, she got her breakthrough. But yeah, and it's just part of the Americanization of, uh, of football in England. Like you see, the golfers are sort of dipping into Leeds. It's the whole Wrexham thing probably. Yeah. They are, they're all, they all want to slice of the pie. Yeah. Even though the championship is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And like everyone's losing money. But no one cares because you might get promoted. Yeah. You know, so it's um it's like it's a very, very unstable environment. Mm. But um yeah, why not? Absolutely. John Duggan, good morning. Shane and Dan, how we doing? You, you enjoying this Americanization of, of world sport? I don't mind. I, I did. I did mention earlier that JD today does have the look. John, um, he looks like an American Ryder Cup player about to play in Europe. <laughs> like he's just got the whole look here, the hat, the sort of the the sort of the hoodie, sort of the. It's very much. Uh, I definitely feel like that's where you should be. You should be in Marco Simone, uh, sort of striding onto the first fairway and saying that this guy. I'm not sure how he's going to handle Europe. You definitely have that look about you. Any today, recommendations John? for what I could see in Dublin today? Well, Colin Boogie, <laughs> Colin Boogie's after saying you looked like a two-time Oscar winner. Uh, to me, you looked like someone who's about to take a selfie with the Molly Malone statue. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go get in Star House by 11 o'clock and then uh, <laughs> You could definitely, you could definitely pass for it. I yeah. mean, if your accents yeah. are good, JD, you can, you can do it. Well, you it's only, a Breeders' Cup hat, though, you were telling me. You, know, you only hear my accents when I've had a few. You look like a man who's about to spend a lot of money at Temple Bar <laughs> <laughs> and Carol's. He's going to be in Carol's all day. <laughs> the, the, the staff rates like Carol's and like, there's one coming. Here, here he comes down the street. <laughs> well, like, they're yeah. going to see you coming a mile away, John. Yeah. I bought this hat in Kentucky at the Breeders' Cup last year and it's made in China. So there you go. Ah, sums up capitalism, doesn't it? In America, yeah, yeah. China. Yeah, wow. it's the first time we've got a chance to talk to you, John. Yeah. Uh, since since the All Ireland on Sunday, how was your how was your experience? Ah, it was incredible, lads. It was. Um, look, I'm from Dublin. I'm born in Hollis Street, in the capital. And from the age of eight to fifteen, I was a Dublin fanatic. And then my heart was too much broken by the defeats of the early nineties and 
after the down game I just couldn't take it anymore I think I suppressed all my feelings for the Dublin footballers who I started supporting in 1987 but um, to see this team um, engage in their last hurrah was, was, was unbelievable and I, I'm a big student of the history of sport I love the history of sport and I love the legacy of sport and the patterns of, of, of things and Dublin and Kerry are the you know the Barcelona, Real Madrid or the Manchester United and Liverpool of Gaelic football and uh, from a legacy point of view, it felt like a legacy game. Uh, when you think back to 1924 is when the 23 All-Ireland was played. Dublin didn't win another um, All-Ireland against Kerry since until 1976. Mm. That's 52 years. Uh, there was like moments, landmark moments, like the 55 final, which scarred Kevin Heffernan. Um, there was then the games they played in the 70s and 80s when Kerry generally were on top. Once again, Dublin didn't win a game against Kerry in the Championship between 1977 and 2011. But in the last 12 years, they've won five times. They've drawn one. They've only lost one. And between 75 and 86, Kerry won eight and 12. Dublin have won nine and 13 in the last 13 seasons. Uh, so for Kerry, for Jack O'Connor, who had a 3-1 record against the Dubs before last weekend, now it's a 3-2 record and the two defeats in finals. And it's almost like I'm wondering to myself in 50 years' time, it's 38-31 now. Will Dublin be the top team in terms of all Ireland's won because when I was growing up I always felt that Kerry are the establishment of Gaelic football Dublin had problems with Meath they've been obviously put to bed now uh, but to beat the establishment team which Kerry have always been they've always been the Real Madrid of Gaelic football it's uh, it, it's a real legacy game and a really big important game and a justifiable game then for Cluxton, Mannion and McCaffrey to come back very tense match I felt Kerry were the better team especially in the second half I thought Dublin had shaded the first half and I thought Kerry were going to win this, but they just couldn't couldn't seem to keep their composure in the last 25 minutes. They only scored two points. When you look at the players picked in the half-forward lines, now I know Paul Mannion played inside in the first half. Dublin's uh, starters, in, in inverted commas, in the half-forward line scored 1-5 from play. Kerry got one point from play through Sean O'Shea. And Kerry didn't have enough scores from the um, midfield defensive positions back where you see Fenton chip in with a couple of points. Mm. Cluxton got a couple of points. And Dublin were much better on the turnovers than Galway were last year. So I just, I just, I never felt I watching the game and the extremely tense game in those conditions that Dublin were going to win it. But David Clifford uh, had a really off day for him of, of his of a man of his quality, and uh, Dublin just saw it over the line. They must will themselves to victory, and Paul Mannion probably the difference. We kind of were having conversations in the office during the week, John, and a bit on air yesterday morning as well about where. The All Ireland's the nine All Ireland wins for Dublin since 2011. Where this one ranks and almost like a power rankings of for Dublin fans as to as to it's, what it means. It's, it's definitely in the top two. Uh, I think 2011 will always be special because of the fact that it was 16 year um, famine and it was won by the last kick of the game with Stephen Cluxton and it was the start of everything really. Uh, and it'd be Kerry in a final, but this possibly is the sweetest win for any Dublin supporter or any Dublin fan because. Once again, you're beating Kerry in a legacy game. And we know this is it now for Dublin. It's like Kerry 1986. Dublin will not win the All-Ireland next year, in my opinion. Because I think Dublin will not win the All-Ireland next not year? Not at all. No, I, I just think, I just felt that felt like the, the, last, the last ever game. And, and to come out on the right side of it, there's a big difference between coming out on the right side and the wrong side. I think it's going to be a long winter for Kerry. A lot of soul-searching. We know they're obsessed about the game down there. But it's also, once again, the legacy and the history of the game. Cluxton, Fitzsimons, McCarthy, nine All-Irelands. I think they'll all retire. I think Dean Rock, McCaffrey, Mannion, uh, Farrell, I think they're all gone. Jesus. They're all finished. So how many will Dublin win in the next decade, John? Maybe one. 
Uh, you think you, so? Uh, you're being cute here, this John. Is, I'm not this being is cute. absolute now. This is this it's is game playing. No, it's not. This this is it. It's all over. Look now. at the lads coming. Look at the lads coming along in their mid twenties the, and stuff as the, well. The, like. the microphone is dropped. The, the microphone. Yeah. The microphone is dropped. There's nothing else to achieve, ever. Ten. Some of these lads want to get the. Do you ten, think though? the Dublin right, can only win one in the next ten? Well, I'm, I'm just. It, well, it, how much should Dublin expect to win? I mean, they've, they've, they've mentioned they've, they're annexing other counties around them. Practically, what like your own county? Yeah, there yeah they're, they're taking them all. Ashford. When, when is they're RD? They just can't. They, they when can't, is RD? And they can't obviously make their way to Kerry, right? There's obviously some places they can't breach. But like genuinely, like how many will they win? across I, I the just, next 20 I, I, years I, I, what's, I, I, what's the reasonable over under and what Dublin should I, I think win? 20 years maybe 4 uh, four. 4 all out of 16 years, years they won't win it who's coming through from a minor under 21 level not that many players are, I think are coming through if you take all the players I've mentioned out of the team and they were the key players in the team uh, last Sunday uh, like who's been really impressed that's come through maybe Lee Gannon has been the most impressive player and Vascal had a good season Vascal's not young uh, you know if you take all those players out of a team uh, and they're, they're going to go because they've achieved everything they need to achieve. I'm looking at Galway next year. I'm looking at Derry next year being being pretty strong. And I just think it's cyclical. Oh, it's uh, this is absolutely absolute game playing it's here. It's cyclical. I'm not game playing. Just 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 as one, much as one in the next. It, it was cyclical for Kerry. Kerry have won what one since they won two since 2009. That's yeah. what fourteen years, two and fourteen years. It's not. It's not. It's not an outlandish thing to say. Uh, you think yeah. about Kerry being I, the aristocrats of the game. Uh, I've really enjoyed this plucky Dublin underdog story. Yeah, I have yeah, to say, yeah. or, or, it's like it, it's like the Pharaohs team. It's like Claxvik. You know, they've just they've beaten all the rules and population on you know structures, everything. We've come full circle. Yeah. Kerry fans were the cute ones, and now oh, Dublin no. fans are going to because they have won so much. Turn into the cute ones. They're like, oh well. That was that. Sure look at. It was fun while it lasted, lads. Yeah. You know, we've got nothing going for us here. Let's just just head out to some of our wonderful but, plush clubs in South Dublin. But I, I do think there's a massive, uh, massive population. I do, but, yeah. th- I do think there's a hunger thing. I do think there's a hunger thing, and there's a cycle in sport. And you, you saw it with the Kilkenny hurlers. You think all oh, Kilkenny hurlers are ne- never going to uh, not win? They haven't won. In, uh, it'll be nine years next year since they won. That's not due to a lack of hunger, though. I don't think no but it's a cyclical thing I think sport is cyclical and you have generational players Cluxton McCarthy Fenton see these are some of the greatest players the game has ever seen like we're talking about generational game how old is Fenton? Players. he's only 30 30, 30 really yeah. I say only 30 like, but yeah, it, gotta, I mean, he's got we're a talking about generational yeah, players here you're never going to see the likes again as was the case with Mikey Sheehy Pat Spillane Jack O'Shea Jar Power Ogie Morn Paddy O'Shea and the Kerry team it just, you just can't keep on going like that forever the sport is, is, is by its nature is cyclical and that's, that's just my kind of feeling on it and I felt that was it for Dublin on Sunday that's why it was so sweet Did they not want to go and get number 10 some of those lads? <sighs> just laughed at this. Sure, nine is the record so why would you? <laughs> not with the hurlers <laughs> Honestly, this is a, this is a master class <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's master. why he's wearing the hat to hide the, <laughs> the, the twinkle in his eye Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I'm not sure about this <laughs> what, what do we feel about the uh, FAI because um, People power, player what, power. What do you this, feel, John? This is player power, and it's not, people aren't really saying much in that overt way. And maybe I'm not completely right about that, but it is, seems to be this is player power. Can you imagine uh, Jack Charlton being told what to do in terms of picking a team? Um, and whether it's right or wrong, I do think it's on the players now. If they want somebody else in there um, to be their coach for the, the Nations League or the Euros, that you know, I suppose they need to step up and qualify. Because it's just a very strange atmosphere around the fact that this is a World Cup. Uh, we never qualified for one before. We equipped ourselves well. We played two teams ranked in the top 10 in the world. And the atmosphere just seems all wrong around it, whoever's fault that may be. Uh, but I don't think anybody comes well out of this. 
and the whole thing should be completely about pure celebration and I just don't feel that that's um, in, the, in the atmosphere at all and this kind of, I feel it's just pretty sad mm. Someone in the comments suggested this morning Katie McCabe should have been hauled off by Vera Powell at that moment Well I, do, I think definitely like as I said like Vera Powell like, there's a lot of affection for her in the country and there will there will be people who will sort of just look at this and go they enjoy the idea of mm. the, the coach as the authority figure you know and they will warm to that now uh, like and that may well be the case like I think certainly like Pau sort of intimating although I don't think she explicitly sort of said that McCabe wanted Sinead Farley taken off which certainly alluded to it in such a way that it could be interpreted like that is Pau didn't need to do that either no you know? and and like, but but then from listening to the people who were there, the way the the attendance or the noise, like you could hear McCabe what she was saying, like from the pitch in the stadium. Like you would, like managers now would be lauded for having a leadership group of players. I, I I can't imagine Jack Charlton necessarily had a leadership group in the way that people do now, where they have the three or four players who will like give their opinions, and you know they will probably be. It's a it's a, it's a sort of a modern thing now, you know, to be asked about what our training, what's our training like, or what do you need, and that probably would have been frowned upon twenty thirty years. Ago, so I'm not sure we should be going back to that reference point of how leadership works. Would, I think it's a more would, would Pep accept it? Um, you you would think not, but then at the same time, like, would he have discussions with like you hear me respects the intelligence of certain players? And like he does Silva, yeah, and yeah, De Bruyne, like, yeah, yeah, De Bruyne. yeah. So it's the public nature of it, yeah, yeah, which yeah, always yeah, indicates yeah. a version of disrespect, right? But then, see, if the manager's doing well. That's fine. If they're doing badly, people think, "Oh, does this? What does this say about the group?" And it's it just feels like the thing over a long period of time. Maybe some frustrations have spilled over. Mm. Yeah, insurrection in the camp. Any other bits and bobs, John, this morning flying around? Uh, not really. Who was your footballer of the year, Shane? I was going to ask you. I, I, for me, it's Stephen Cluxton. Um, I, I I thought David Clifford. I, was, I mentioned David Clifford yesterday. He probably is the footballer of the year. Uh, Jerry was saying, you know. His performances in the in the final and maybe semi final would lead you away from David Clifford possibly, but if you're going to pick from Dublin, I would pick Stephen Cluxton. I tend to agree with you, to be honest. That's the Joe Brawley view as well, isn't it? But the, the the composure in those kickouts in that final was a sight to behold. I I think that you probably can't underestimate, and it'll probably come out in the wash and uh, what he brought to the group in terms of the dressing room. Uh, pushing standards, but just pushing the culture yeah. uh, and giving that security to Dublin that they could get over the line. Obviously, scored a couple of points in the final himself. I think Mick Fitzsimons was unlucky not to win Man of the Match last weekend because Mick Fitzsimons would have been thinking uh, and obviously relishing the task, but to go to sleep the night before the All-Ireland final, knowing you're going to have to unnerve and unsettle David Clifford yeah. um, for him to have an off day and, and do as much as he can to limit his... Potential uh, for damage. Uh, I do think that was a, a magisterial performance for a, a, a guy who, um, once again, has been an underrated player. But I don't think, you see, the problem is people want to fit James McCarthy into this because James McCarthy, unfortunately, has never won Footballer of the Year and he should have won it in 2017 when Dublin beat Mayo to win the You All-Ireland. can't give it to him as a token, though. Uh, but No, you can't. It has to be on the basis of this year and he didn't have the best of finals, whereas Cluxton this year you can definitely say was definitely a game changer even in the Monaghan game the kickouts when and obviously you're there Shane when Dublin were um, just finding it a little bit difficult to put Monaghan to bed mm. um, yeah he, 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 you can't really argue against Stephen Cluxton but you could definitely argue for other players to get it too yeah absolutely we'll, we'll talk Monaghan in just a second we've Conor McManus standing by as well John uh, thanks a million for that alright Shane Dan good to see you
Brilliant stuff. Back again this Saturday, no doubt, lads. Uh, Saturday week. Saturday See, week. This, this yeah. is Dan's wor- uh, warm up game. Oh, of course, for yeah. week. Of course. For Sorry, yeah. Once, once JD comes back from a couple of days in Killarney and wherever else he's going on his, <laughs> yeah, yeah, his Kentucky or, or something. Yeah, yeah. No, he's going out to Tampa Bar with that hat on. Yeah, the, uh, Carol's souvenir there, shop. Yeah. Best of luck, John. Great stuff as always. OTB AM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, approaching five past nine on this Thursday morning's OTBAM, the sports breakfast show, and off the ball with myself and Dan McDonald with you this morning. I mean, what's better than having one man in person in the studio? I think it's two, Dan, wouldn't it be? Well, that would be the quote has never been exceeded. It has been exceeded. Yeah. We're only allowed two. It, it, it can never be three, according to Jer. So, Connor McManus is in the studio. Morning, Connor. How are things? Ian, how are you? Keeping well. Keep Good, well. Yeah, thank you. If, uh, if you had a euro for every time someone asked you if you're continuing on next year, between the last couple of weeks how, many, how, many, how much quid would you have? <laughs> I think I might start charging alright <laughs> uh, yeah yeah. listen it's, 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 uh, it's a hot topic when, whenever somebody meets you but listen it's, uh, to be fair people, people I suppose mean well you know they're not, they're not overly intrusive and, and they probably are all conscious of probably not asking you but still ask you at the same time but um, listen yeah it's, 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 uh, people, people do mean well like it, it is. Do you think people try and retire sports people too early? Like this, this conversation seems to come up as soon as someone hits a, a certain age. I don't know if it's thirty-two or three or four, but all of a sudden, then it's just—it's almost like a pressure is put on them. When yeah, well, definitely within GEA anyway. Um, it seems to be once you hit that thirty, thirty-one mark at all, that 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 conversation keeps coming up and keep is fairly at the end of every year. It's sort of, but I suppose when you get. Into the mid thirties, it's certainly something that comes up at the end of every season. But um, listen, I suppose if you if you look at if you look at last weekend and the Dubs are a, a prime example of that. You know, Mick Fitzsimons, James McCarthy, Stephen Cluxton. So I, I don't think I think if if the body and mind is willing, there's no reason if if for players to be to be pulling out as early. You know. Yeah. So you won't, you won't make it. We have a photo that I think we can put up on screen of yourself and your your parents after the. After the semi-final against uh, Dublin, Frank and Mary, there, like everyone was sharing that photograph. Everyone was sharing that there was a photograph of you walking down the tunnel as well from behind. Like all these emotional and people, I guess, reading into certainly Monaghan fans as well, reading into you walking onto the pitch afterwards and kind of taking a little moment to yourself. But I guess people are going to read too much into these little things. Yeah, well, listen, it's it, they're supposed they're just snapshots of 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 I suppose after the game that they don't really tell the story because there's no story to tell. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know myself what's happening, so I, you know people can obviously can make their own assumptions and, and 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 ideas. Listen, it may be the case, and and it may could it could well turn out that everybody is right or was right, but but there's, there's certainly no I no decision made either way as to what as to what the plan is or what what's happening. I, I'll focus on the club season now with Clontibret, and um, we'll 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 give that our all over the next six or eight weeks. See where that takes us, and then we'll we'll sort of take stock towards end of end of end of December, start of January. See what way the the body's feeling. Um, talk to Vinny, and um, we'll we'll take it from there. How all-consuming is it? Like, how easy <clears throat> do you find find it to switch off? You know, after you lose the Dublin game, do you sort of are you good at sort of taking a couple of days, or does it do you still carry it with you everywhere? No, I wouldn't be great at that now, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, you know, some players are different, and and like you see players in in within your own dressing room, and some players in, in other counties are just better at doing that than, than others. You know, I I wouldn't be particularly good at it. Um, I'd be I'd be fairly grumpy now for a for a good long period of time mm-hmm. after it. You know, 
Um, I suppose that that maybe comes with with um, with age as well, and and you know that you know chances are are running out, you know. So, but that there's probably an element of that involved with it as well, you know. Yeah, because I think I was saying that from the perspective of keeping going again. Like some people clearly they know how to recharge the batteries, and but but obviously if you're sort of quite intense and you bring it with you, that can be probably quite draining as well in a way, you know. It's, yeah, well, I suppose that's that's just. I suppose what what I was saying there was I was probably carrying the the, the defeat with me that mm. that particular of the particular game and it takes maybe a week or two to get over it. But once once you get past that and you you move on and and you know there's a lot of other things going on and and you do realise there's a lot more important things going on yeah. as well. Like so you have to it just maybe takes a week or so to get a bit of perspective on it, you know. Um, but you, you move on and as I say you jump into other things and you get 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 involved with the the club again and um, hopefully we can we can give that a good run you know I'm not going to kickstart a man and siege mentality thing here but there's certainly a lot of conversations across the year and definitely in the build up to the to the Dublin game um, I think and I'd said it on air as well Jeremy Connolly calling it a, a, a foregone conclusion I think was the was the phrase he used and I've heard you speaking even since the match and you're talking about the fact that everyone's going on now like oh this was a brilliant year for man and getting to a semi-final but I know that's not the way you would see it no no like because we, at the end of the day we, we, we don't have anything to show for it you know um, we don't have silverware but I suppose like at the end of the day there's 31 other teams that are sitting looking at it like that as well you know only one team can, can win the All-Ireland and obviously Dublin done that last weekend so every other team sitting on looking at that I suppose in envy and, and we're no different we we had a chance to put ourselves into an All-Ireland final you know with, with 8 or 10 minutes to go against Dublin and, and we, we came up short just like every other team came up short against Dublin this year so um, yeah like we, we certainly progress potentially yeah you could definitely say that and, and you would like to, to use it as a, as a stepping stone and a building block going into next year for Monaghan but certainly not a, a successful year insofar as we didn't actually win anything you know are you able to watch the the final then, or are you looking at it from a modern perspective that that should be, or could well, have been potentially? You've us? always a wee bit of that, and yeah, you know, the, the what if, you know, and we, we we could have been there, and there's no doubt we could have been there if if we had maybe done things differently in the, in the last eight or ten minutes. But again, I go back to it. There's a lot of teams have said that about Dublin and playing Dublin in, in, in not just this year, but over the last ten years, you know, um, that that. They, they're very good at closing games out, and and again they did it did it last week against the All Ireland champions who, who who were Kerry obviously at the time that they beat them I think was at seven two in the closing stages. So um, I suppose everybody has that sad story to, to tell, you know. So we're 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 no different, but we're we're obviously disappointed with it. Hindsight's obviously twenty twenty. Like, what would you what would you do differently in the in those last five ten minutes from a modern perspective if you could get them back again? Yeah, listen, it's it's very very small details, very very small details. Like you know, Dublin, I think we were we got it level with 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 maybe eight minutes to go. Dublin got up and got the next score, and we end up getting caught on on a short kick out. Um, with the next kick out, obviously Paul Mannion gets the free. Dublin get pressed up on us again, and and they they have a real hard press on our kick out. So it's I suppose it's just the, the, the small details that getting out of that initial press on the on the first short kick out. If we get out of that press, Dublin have a have a lot of players invested in in, in pressing us at that mm-hmm. point in the game. If we just get it out and get it moved across, we, we probably get up the field and, and, and get a shot away. Um because we Dublin obviously had a lot of players invested at, at that period in the game. So you, you, you're looking at really, really small details, you know. But again, they're the they're the small details that that add up. And then again, I suppose as well as that, we we turned over too much ball in in, the, in that in that seven or eight minute period. Um, 
and Dublin thrive on turnovers and we would have talked about that before the game you know Mick Fitzsimons was was marking yourself I know you've had many battles with Mick over the over the years um, many people I suppose he could or should have been man of the match for, for how he helped I guess shuffle David Clifford out of the game for all intents and purposes last weekend what, what's it like having Mick marking you because he's, he's a, he's a a tight marker and he, he's someone you've had unbelievable games with over the years like yeah no listen Mick Fitzsimons there's no secret to it the man is nine all Ireland's like and you you don't get that for for nothing yeah I have some some great battles with him over the years um, some I've come out on top of some he's come out on top of and, and I suppose that's the nature of you know corner by corner forward relationships um, but yeah listen he, he he's he's been a serious servant to, to Dublin you know who's the toughest defender you've ever come up against um, geez. there's been a few. There's been a few, yeah. There's been a few. Um, Neil McGee would have always would always be one that would spring to mind. Y- y- you never got anything soft there. Um, but even even in Monaghan training, like you know, y- you always had the likes of Ryan Wiley, Colin Walsh, through through Wiley, these boys clipping at your heels every night in training. You know, so you were always going into into games well prepared. But I suppose the likes of Neil McGee was was a very tough one. Mark O'Shea, I would have marked. You know, in in earlier years with 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 Monaghan, um, again, like he was the kind of player that could could you know be defensive and and be as tight and tough a, a, as you like, but also go up the field and sell you a solo dummy and kick it over with his left foot. Like so, he he had it all as well. But listen, there's been there's been loads there's been loads of tough days out. You know, mm. the the Armagh game in the quarterfinal is one I think that live in. Modern fans' memories for a long time. It was unbelievable. Uh, like just back and forth. I don't think any team led by two uh, throughout. Uh, it was just one of those exciting games. And then, of course, you're sprung from the bench. Ashling O'Reilly was covering the game for us in the sideline, and she said you were warming up. And I don't know, you were like a, a a cow in spring, nearly trying to get out onto the pitch at that stage, just desperate to to be able to do something about it. Um, and when you come on, like, what's going through your head when when Rain O'Neill kicks that last score? What 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 we think is the last score from out to win it? Yeah, um, well, firstly, you could hardly hear yourself thinking with with the noise, like the the noise that my crowd brought after that particular score was was crazy. Like that, the stadium was rocking. Um, but you just felt we 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 just need to force one opportunity here. Or we we will get a chance here. And and to be fair, I, I was running out from from Rain O'Neill, having got that score with me back to the play, which isn't <laughs> if you were sitting analysing it, it's not exactly what you're supposed to be doing. But before I knew it, Rory had the ball down and Carol O'Connell had the ball taken up the field like so we responded very well straight away to that score we got the ball down we got we got possession and, and we got an attack going so once you got an attack going you, you felt that you were going to get a chance somewhere along the line and, and, and luckily enough we, 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 we just managed to, to, to squeeze a chance out of it and, and force force injury or force penalties wasn't it yeah mm. How difficult is it as a sub coming off the bench to get to the pitch of a game like that straight away like a, a very intense game you know, and you, you often hear sports people speak about those first couple of minutes about coming in. It can be a challenge. Like, how is that something you've been able to develop? Yeah, it's 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 um, it can it can be tricky because like the the pace of them games, you know, and pace of them, you know, quarterfinals, semifinals in in Crow Park, you know, they're 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 all consuming. Like, so it it can be it can be a tricky thing. But it's I suppose when you're when you're in in that role, you have to be sort of watching the game and obviously knowing that you're coming in and and trying to. Pick your pick your moments and 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 obviously have a fair idea as to who you're coming on against and things of like that. So it's just, it's just trying to trying to hit the ground running as quick as you can. Very often, just your first touch, things like that. There, making sure you nail your first touch, not 
come on and spill your first ball yeah. and things like that there so just just small simple things like that there just to get you get you into the game yeah Mm. Carol Kane had a had a great stats where he, uh, Vinnie Corey after the match called you the greatest clutch player in Monaghan's history. Nine goals and two hundred and forty points at that point in Championship football. One forty three of that, which is eighteen percent, scored after the sixtieth minute, uh, and and a good portion of that thirty six percent from play as well. And that's not even counting the league. So, is that something that when you get to when it gets to that point of the game, Monaghan are a point down. They're trying to force extra time. You wanted the ball. It was quite clear that you wanted to be the person who who got the ball off Rory Began or, or Carlo Connell. I can't remember which which uh, laid it off to you. Banigan maybe passed it off, but you wanted to be the one to take that last shot, or or I guess be fouled. And in the end, it was you that was that was fouled for that free kick. Yeah, but listen, I suppose that's 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 the nature of of your job. You're in there as a, as a as a I suppose a scoring forward, and and that's that's your that's your role, you know. Them last ten minutes, I suppose, are, are when when games are won and lost. You know, particularly in championship football, and it tends to be where things sort of open up a wee bit. Mm. You know, you look even last last week. You know, from a from a from a carry point of view, Clifford I think touched the ball maybe once in the first twenty two or three minutes because the game is often very tight and yeah. cagey and 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 things aren't that overly open. But in the last ten minutes of of them big games, things become a wee bit more. More chaotic and 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 opportunities probably do arise. So you just have to be ready when when them times do come. You know, the the game goes to penalties then ultimately. And uh, I mean, just a, the utmost drama. I think it was seventeen penalties all in all, nine eight. Um, Monaghan eventually coming out in the right side of it. You, 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 <laughs> the nature of the penalties now is you pick your five takers, and then if it's sudden death, the same five lads go again, which mm. is it could be deemed harsh, I guess. But it, but it's tough on those lads, especially. Um, you know the Armagh player missed the missed the two two kicks. You your two penalties were just ridiculous. Like top left, top right. Um, had you practiced them in advance? Was this a scenario you, you were preparing for? No, we 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 hadn't practiced them. We 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 talked about it. We talked about it before the Kildare game. I think it was because that was that was obviously knockout at that stage. Um, and we decided against it because <clears throat> I suppose number one, you don't necessarily who's going to be on the field at any particular time. But as well as that. Um, if you if, say if you're practicing penalties on the Friday night and the game's so, so Sunday and some man misses it, that could be in his head, you know, before before he steps up. So um, I suppose it's 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 a case of who's on the field at, at any particular time, and then you know who has gone well during the game, whose confidence is up, and things like that. There, so um, yeah, it's it's a fairly dramatic experience, you know, to be to be at that level and you know in in them circumstances, knowing that. One miss could potentially see us see us knocked out here, um, and, and and I suppose going back to the the same five players kicking like I, I was up first that particular day, and as soon as mine hit the net, I was thinking right, That's happy days. I can mm. clock out here now, <laughs> and it comes back round a second time, and and it looked like for a long time it was going to come back round a third time. So um, yeah, it's it's a difficult scenario, but at the same time for any of them players involved in, in that shootout, there's nowhere else you'd rather be either. Like you know what I mean. That's that's I suppose that they're the moments that you train for. They're the moments that you want to be involved in. And, and yeah, listen, it's I suppose it's a difficult way to lose a game, but ultimately it's probably good entertainment as well for for fans and for spectators. You know, the practice in those penalties and frees. Was it yourself saying someone certainly saying in the past before who's a free taker in, in Gaelic football? Like when you're when you're a kid out in the back garden. I'm sure it was just repetition, repetition. Rory Began famously with his dad used to go out and. I think maybe try and kick ten in a row without missing before he could 
come back inside or, or whatever else. So was it similar similar for you in the garden when you were a kid? That yeah, this was a yeah, yeah. You just you just you're always outside till 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 dark, um, kicking and pretending you're Peter Canavan or pretending you're Mickey Lynn or whoever it was at the time. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely no different. I think every kid's the same, um, and I suppose that's where the I suppose the love of the game is born out of. Is is that just that? I suppose that initial enthusiasm for playing football and, and that initial love of playing football, you know. The, you could see before that kick, uh, it's a, look, it's a relatively straightforward free for, uh, from your your standards, but in the, I guess, the scenario in which it is, if you miss Monroe out of the championship, so it, it, there's no easy kick of that. Uh, no, no, and, and I suppose that there, there are things that you, particularly, obviously, I wasn't starting now on my game, so you, you're visualising bits and pieces come coming up to that game and, and that's a scenario that you would have played through your head you know a, a last minute free to either win it or equalise it and things like that so th- there are things that you would be rolling through your head coming into the game and you know practising before the game you know in your last training session things like that just just trying to have every angle covered that, that for, for what may arise you know um, I think it was 2005 was it that, that Canavan was in a substitute mm-hmm. role against yeah. against Armagh in a similar position in a similar Similar scenario, and and obviously he 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 knocked it over. Um, difference was they went on and won the All Ireland. Um, but yeah, they're the, they're the sort of the scenarios and circumstances you would you would be rolling through your mind, as I say, particularly when you're not starting the game. So you know, chances are you're going to be there or thereabouts in in them closing stages and be on the field in them in them closing stages. You know, so um, yeah, listen, that was one of the days that it worked out. Don't know how much sledging is still a thing, but uh, certainly, ju- judging from the, even the TV pictures afterwards, a couple of the Armagh lads might have had a couple of things to say to you. Maybe they were wishing you the best of luck with your, with your mm. kick. Yeah, uh, listen, you're, you're are you are you hearing that at that not time? Not really. No, you're 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 not you're not paying any heed to it at all. Listen, I suppose that's only natural. You, you, as a as a player in the opposition side, in them scenarios, you, you'll say anything or do anything to, to make sure that this game doesn't go to penalties or make sure that you win the game. So from that point of view, it's, it's totally normal. And, and from from my point of view or the kicker's point of view, you're just you're not, you're not just letting that all slide, you know. I know Desi Farrell had said after, not that it was any consolation uh, to yourselves or to any Monaghan fans, but he had spoken about how Monaghan were the most improved team he had ever seen. Um, and, and I guess he meant that from the, the Derry game in the Ulster Championship did not go to plan but then playing Derry in the, in the group stages you get the draw up in Celtic Park uh, and the performance was mile different from, from what it had been against Derry previously so was that something that you had sat down and, and discussed because you had you had the unbelievable win against Tyrone and Ryan O'Toole's late goal but then the disappointment of the Derry game so was there a, was there a moment after the Derry match where you all kind of sat down well, not not one moment as such. Listen, you sit down after every game, and and I suppose we would have been very disappointed with with our performance against Derry. The, the you know in the in the semi final of the championship, um, after having played reasonably well for for half of the previous game against our own because we were very poor in the first half. You know that that couldn't go unnoticed either. Um, and we 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 just felt that there was you know we had to change things and and we had to 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 be better in a lot of our defensive play. Mm. And, and how Derry play, you know, it really it really challenges you. So, listen, the, the boys trained really really hard, you know, in that period whereby we 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 were obviously knocked out of the championship until our first game in the in the All Ireland series, and th- there was a massive amount of work went on on the training field to get ready for that game and and the rest of the and the rest of the summer. Um, and you could see it, you could see it in how we how we played that day, how we the boys applied themselves and. Um, 
you know, we probably unlucky enough not to win the game and in the heel of the hunt probably lucky to get a draw out of that particular game but it, it it's probably solidified what we had talked about and what the boys had worked on on the training field you know between between both games Do you pay any heed to the <clears throat> the media talk to uh, what I was calling I suppose a disrespect towards towards man in the build up even in our own power rankings and I'm calling out Tommy Rooney here who does the power rankings with us but uh, I think Monaghan finished the power rankings in 5th and they were in the, the last four, of course, in the semi-finals, and I think even when they were in the quarterfinals, they might have been ninth. So like, this is the kind of and there's always the, the phrases rolled out about Monaghan. You know, uh, I guess the, the population is referenced to and, and punching above their weight. I mean, if if you get a euro every time that phrase was used, you'd be a rich man. But do you pay any attention to that? The kind of the media talk. Very very little. Listen, that some of it's very hard to avoid if you're on if you're on social media and things like that. There, these things keep popping up, and and you do see them. Listen, um, people have to form their opinions. That's part of part of you know media. That's part of punditry. Um, some are right, some are wrong, some are very wrong. Um, but listen, that's 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 part and parcel of it, and 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 that's that's you know I don't think from a player's point of view, yes, it it'll be spoken about maybe here or there, but you'll never hang your hat on it, or you'll never hang too much attention on it. It might be referenced maybe once or twice, some certain thing that may be said or done, but by and large, you, you can't be like what's important is is what's inside the the four walls of your dressing room, and and if you allow that stuff into your your psyche or your mindset. On a constant basis, you you know you're not really focusing on what you need to be. So, yes, obviously that there's a lot of the media now is is hard to avoid. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. Before, if you if you didn't buy a newspaper, you wouldn't see anything. <laughs> you know what I mean. But now it's it's everywhere. You know, and and, and some of it's 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 hard to avoid. So, uh, yes, you do see it, but you don't really pay much heed to it. Really, you know. Cause Sorry to say that. I know, <laughs> 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 ah, no, it's grand. In the off season, you can watch. But I suppose that, that's the benefit of your experience. But can you imagine for a twenty-year-old now, twenty-one-year-old who's never, who's never known it any other way? Mm-hmm. Is, is, it, is it harder for them? It, it probably is, and and like, I suppose that's where that's where you know, working with obviously experienced managers, say the likes of any who's been there and and through it all, or you look at other other dressing rooms. You have obviously Jack O'Connor who has been through it all, Desi Farrell. So players can lean into that, and obviously all all sports teams and all Gaelic teams have have their own psychologist and things mm. like that. So younger lads can really tap into that and 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 I suppose learn from it and and you know bounce their own thoughts and ideas off these people as well. So that that's that's what that's all there for and geared towards as well. Um, but I suppose having been there for a, for a period of time and, and you, you come to learn to handle these things and cope with these things mm-hmm. in your own way and, and don't necessarily need to, to, to bounce it off people as much because you, you've, you've been there and you, you, can, you can lean on your own experiences more so you know not to bring it back to the whole thing about your future but I'm just curious like I mean clearly but you're just going to there's, well, another, well, there's another euro here, here we go here we go <laughs> but no it's not even that it's much like people talk about longevity and, and keeping going like how much do you enjoy the winters like as I imagine like the, the, the last the summer and the, the, the big games and it's clear like you know that's the buzz that's the thrill that's what you grew up dreaming about but how do you find the December the January that sacrifice is that the hardest part of it as opposed to yeah, you know well, being there in the summer I mean of course it's obvious appeal if you talk to some of the boys in the dressing room they say I don't um, December's and January's haven't troubled me too much in the last <laughs> while <now."> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah that, that, that it is difficult to, to navigate your way through them seasons and, and you know obviously I have to just manage the, the 
the injury or the hip a wee bit more. Yeah. So I, I'm not out doing that slog in, in December and January this last number of years. Um, but even when you're not doing that, you're in the you're in the gym and you're doing your rehab and you're you know doing your own conditioning and it's testing. It, it definitely is like it because the bit the, the more the more you, you want to be out on the field, you want to be yeah. training out, as tough as they are. In, in them times of the year, that's where you want to be is on the pitch with the boys and, and, and you know, going through that going through that slog and it can be difficult. There's no two ways about it. I've yet to meet any any intercounty footballer that has played that, that say puts his hand up and says he enjoys that. It's an, it's a necessary evil, it has to be done and you're just trying to get yourself back in shape and, and, and get a base level of fitness that will sort of carry yeah. you through the, the season. But that that's that can be the the challenge. There's no doubt. Like it's always there, even if you're not out there. You have that responsibility. That's always there. Yeah, yeah, and and as well as that, as most Gaelic footballers over uh, over the last number of years are are coming back into pre-season in better shape because mm. the, 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 the sort of the lifestyle just rolls from one year to the next, whereby you're always tipping away in the gym and keeping yourself in shape and things like that. So there's not the same, you know. There's not the same grind coming back as maybe there used to be. Whenever yeah. I would have been involved first with Monaghan, whereby you'd have, you know, men coming back in and there were a stone and two stone yeah. overweight. You mm-hmm. know, Darren Hughes being the exception <laughs> to that, he, he does that every year. Um, <laughs> but like most, more often than not, players are are coming back in in in, in fairly good shape, and um, it's it's not as big a grind, but it still doesn't make it any yeah. easier. You still have to get through that that six or eight week block, and and it's it's it's, it's tough. Like yeah, mm. hope Darren's watching this morning. He'll enjoy that one. <laughs> uh, the, uh, does it when you eventually make that decision uh, ultimately to to keep going or not going? As you say, it'll be the body and how you feel later on in the year. Maybe does Vinnie Corey being in charge have an impact? Because I mean, he's club mate of yours with Clintibbert. He's a good friend of yours as well. So I'd imagine, you know, if there's anyone going to be in charge to convince you to stay on, it would be Vinny. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it, 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 it will. I suppose I'll not make any decisions on without talking to Vinny and having a having a chat with Vinny. Absolutely, because, um, obviously, he, number one, he's the manager. But as well as that, yeah, you have that relationship. You, if he wasn't the manager, he's the kind of guy that you would probably be bouncing things off anyway. You know what I mean? Regardless, so. Um, yeah, he absolutely will. He'll, he'll be a factor in that, and he'll be he'll be somebody that I'll be chatting to before and and during the the, the, the thought process. And listen, it's, it's not something like you, you nearly get fed up talking about it, and people ask you, and, and you go back over the same things, and you're talking about injury and your hip and all this here, and you, you're Sorry conscious that. that you know, but, you, <laughs> but even from my own point of view, you're yeah. conscious that you just people are sitting listening oh jeez will you give it a rest with this hip? you know what I mean so it's it's something that I'll I'll, I'll, I'll not give too much thought to at the minute um, and we'll we'll see where, where things are at sort of December, January time and, and we'll give it every chance anyway do you, do you like the current or the new championship structure I get, having the All-Ireland final in July feels a bit strange but how do players like it I guess you get a bit of the summer uh, I personally don't like it right. um, I, I think the season is far too condensed um, you know we had a the, the the structure is okay like mm-hmm. the, the 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 round robin series probably worked reasonably well um there was some entertaining games towards the back end of it there was some not so entertaining games um but by and large i think the structure of it is is quite good but i think we've we've gone we've done a total 180 on it from say where the the championship used to finish in the third sunday in september we've 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 just completely gone you know against that and mm-hmm. and crammed it Far too much. I, I think somewhere in between, maybe end of August would be would be a reasonable um, 
would be a reasonable comp- compromise because at the end of the day, you're only really affecting four teams that are going to yeah. be in that latter stages. Every other club in the in the country can crack on. Like our, our championship isn't starting. We're out of the of the of obviously the All Ireland Championship now. Three weeks at this stage or two weeks. And our championship doesn't start for another two weeks, so th- it's not as you couldn't say that we're under major yeah. pressure, you know. So, and and I, I just feel that we've taken the the the, the GA out of the shop window somewhat. Um, the build up to the to these big games used to be a two and three week build up, mm-hmm. and there was so much content around it. You're really only getting over the All Ireland hurling final on the Monday, the Tuesday, and all of a sudden you're getting yeah. straight back into the the football final on the on the following week. So, I definitely think we're 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 selling ourselves short there. Um, players could have a wee bit more <clears throat> of a gap between some of the big games, like, and it's not I'm not saying this specifically because it happened to us this year, whereby we were in the last twelve, and then obviously we had we had yeah. the quarter final the following week. But by and large, teams should have more time to get ready for for big All Ireland quarterfinals, All Ireland semi-finals, and that. So, um, I definitely think there's 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 something that can be done to to elongate the season a wee bit more and, and space it out a wee bit. The other controversial one, I guess, is that mm. we had Davy Burke sitting in here recently in the studio, and he was lamenting the attacking mark mm. uh, and saying, you know, he was at a game earlier in the year and. I think he said Conor Callaghan catches the ball in the full forward line and just takes his mark instead of back in the day would have mm. obviously taken on mm. the defender and possibly had a goal chance. Um, you're you're obviously a player who utilises and makes use of the attacking mark consistently and, and get a number of scores even in the semi-final from that from the attacking mark. Do you like it? Yeah, oh, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I can see both both arguments. It 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 does slow the game down and and it can it can. Um, you know, take away from I suppose some of the attacking plays, and, and that that we don't know what would happen because the game automatically stops, and it's it's mm. you know players are taking their point. Um, but uh, as 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 a, as a result, I suppose it's come in as a result of a lot of defensive systems and and you know men teams getting ten and twelve and thirteen players behind the ball. So I do feel it maybe keeps defenders a wee bit more honest you know at times where you can't really stand off your player as such because there's there's the threat of an, of an attacking mark so it does maybe put a wee bit more onus on on man to man defending or one on one defending as well so i can see why it was it was introduced um it there's arguments to and to and for um for and against it um i don't think it has had a massive bearing on the game you know like it, how often does it get used altogether Maybe twice or three times in a game, mm. so I don't think it. I don't think it has a massive bearing on the on the game, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's it's an interesting one. I, I personally like it as well. Uh, at times, and sometimes, you know, when, when if strikers in in the full forward line, it can it can kind of take away from the game. But I, I do see both points of view. Um, Connor, brilliant with your time. Um, Thanks, yeah. Look after the hip. Look after the body. Hopefully, come back. I, you should have seen the state of me now on on the the night of the the All Ireland semi final. I was in the. The pubs and the nightclubs of, of Man on the Course celebrate celebrating the year that was. Uh, drowning the sorrows. Had the at different points of the night. I think I bumped into you at one stage, bumped into Darren Hughes and bumped into Carl O'Connell. Three of the veterans of the Man on team, of mm-hmm. course, and I think I said the same thing to him, just leave it, just, <laughs> it, just give us a bit of time. Give us a bit of time. I think so I think I speak for all Man and fans when I say, look, you make the right decision for yourself anyway in, in the end of it, and hopefully from Man perspective it's a good one for us as well. So yeah. thanks many Connor for coming. All right, Much appreciated as always. Uh, that is Connor McManus with us. If you missed any of the chat of course you can get it back on the podcast or the YouTube channel as well. Dan, great stuff. No worries, Shane. Thanks for hopping in with us today as well. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.